the ninth episode of the Star of the Ego Feed the Soul podcast. I'm Nico Barraza. Thank you guys so much for joining us again. Man, nine episodes already. It's incredible. I have been having so many awesome conversations. We have so many amazing episodes still in the pipeline yet to be released. On today's episode, we have Cassidy Freeman. I met Cassidy via Instagram. This must have been five, maybe even six years ago now. Um, when Soul and I were Roughwear athletes, they're a dog brand out of Bend, Oregon, good friends of ours. And Cassidy being a fellow dog lover, we connected sort of via, via our love for dogs on Instagram. And um, I've kind of kept in touch with her since then. And we've uh, you know had some conversations and I wanted to have her on the show. She is a very well-known actor. She's been in shows such as Longmire on Netflix Smallville and now the Righteous Gemstones, which is an HBO series. So make sure to check those out. Cassidy is a brilliant human being. She's super into meditation, has a very lengthy backstory that's very intricate that she gets into a little bit in this episode. But she's just a very deep human being. I really appreciate that she's in Hollywood, but is also very real. And I think there's this dichotomy, you know, especially in our culture today that we associate with, you know, a lot of people, you know, that are in Hollywood space, um, not being real. And Cassidy couldn't be further from the truth. She is a completely real human being who has owned a lot of her own stuff, is consistently working on herself. You know, we had this long conversation um, while I was on a run a couple weeks ago about sort of dealing with our childhood trauma and how that proliferates in our romantic relationships. And it was, it was super awesome. And uh, not only is she a great human being, but she has a ton of insight and I find that her opinions um, are just spot on on so many things when I have conversations with her. So I'm really excited about this episode, guys. Again, if you are digging anything on Star of the Ego, Feed the Soul, if you are finding some kernels of truth and some goodness that sit well with you, I'd really appreciate if you log into Apple and leave us a five-star written review. It helps get our ratings up and reach more ears. Or if you guys like this episode or another episode, just share it on your social media accounts, tag your friends in it. Let them know about the podcast because I really would like this podcast to reach as many ears as possible and help as many people as possible, just like other podcasts and other books have helped me in my life. Now, because I love talking to Cassidy so much and she's agreed to come on the show multiple times, we're going to sort of name this one Conversations with Cassidy because she's going to come back on the show at a later date. We're going to pick up where this conversation left off and probably go on millions of tangents after that. But I really appreciate her willingness. And of course, I love talking with her and our conversations I find super fascinating and intriguing. So we're going to bring her back on the show multiple times and sort of just coin the uh, the episode name Conversations with Cassidy. And this is, this is Conversations with Cassidy part one or episode one. And we'll have many more to come. So without further ado, Cassidy Freeman. It's a very interesting topic to me. Yeah. Um, and honestly, since I'm not a, I'm not a female, I don't think I have a ton of clout to be able to talk about it because I, you know, it's, it, it's up to sort of the female that is, females that are in the sport, I think, you know, cause for instance, in fighting, if you think about like UFC fighting, right, like, right, that's a big problem, dude. Like, you know, it's just physiological, you know, I mean, there are some really talented female fighters that I love watching, but if you put a dude in the ring with them, it's just, they're just bigger and stronger. And I think like you can get hurt, you know, it's like, like really hurt. Right. So, but then some women are like, they're super down. That. So I, I know it's hard know. to, it, it is hard. It's a hard, it's, it does feel very case by case because it doesn't yeah. feel like something that everyone from the outside gets to make a rule about. Um, right. 
And I think what's interesting in all of these arguments, because uh, I, I don't know if I have a strong feeling one way or the other. I've never been personally Same. challenged by that. Um, yeah. I can understand why a trans woman would want to be included in in their genders, their chosen sure. genders uh, sport. And I also yeah. understand that there are women out there being like, it's just not, it's not an even playing field. Right. Um, yep. But about basketball or like volleyball or football. I mean, most sports, I think there's some sports like golf. You could probably get pretty close outside of like power for like driving, but there are women golfers that play just as well as men on most courses, but even like tennis, you know, like, yeah, I don't don't know. It's a a difficult argument. And uh, it's one that interestingly, I've at least in the small amount I've read about it has brought up a lot of really emotional controversy. Yes, um, totally. And that to me is, you know, I think, I think as things change as like systemic ideas sort of get shifted, which is one of the right. themes I think we've seen of this last year. What's interesting to me is that people expect the change or the acceptance of that change to happen so quickly yeah. when like we, there's going to be a, a period of discomfort and we're going to mm. have to sort of like live in that and hear all the sides and, yeah. and let it sort of change rather than like demand it. And I don't think there's a right answer. I just think, like you said, it's a case by case basis. Like I I personally don't, I could go either way and I see both arguments, you know, like uh, I think people should be allowed to be, you know, who they want to be and compete in that sport. But then I also see like from, you know, a female's team's perspective, if a guy were to come, you know, and have a sex change and be identified as a, as a woman, as a female and play in a sport that like heavily favors, like, you know, male physique or, or like power to strength ratio or something that's that's tough yeah i feel right. like well i mean even in wrestling you have weight classes for a reason <laughs> right right like you, yeah. so that you don't get hurt so that it yeah. does feel quote you know i'm doing air quotes but like a fair fight you know yeah and, um, totally that's maybe that has something to do with it i don't know i i remember we were talking the other day about this eddie izzard um oh yes that's podcast. okay that's i actually watched that I watched you that did. with Rogan. Yes, I did. Yeah. Very interesting. Because <laughs> I, um, you know, we talked about Rogan. Like, I, I like some of his stuff. I agree with maybe 30% of the things he says. It's but I think specific. he asks interesting questions. Yeah. Yes. Well, I think about hey, it. I'm, I'm just like, yeah, yeah, it is specific. That's totally true, though. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just, it's just kind of funny because I watched the thing with him last night when he was interviewing this doctor talking about taking quercetin and vitamin D and zinc. I don't know if you've seen that one, but uh, to, it's, a, it's an interesting one. But I did watch the Eddie Izzard one, and that was a very interesting conversation. I think Joe was a little el- out of his element. Um, it wasn't yeah. like a UFC fighter, you know, with a shaved head. Um, right. So. And I think that, and it's interesting. You say watch. I'm guessing that he also has like a video component to his podcasts. See, this is why I'm the millennial that's not actually a millennial. So I have no idea. It's good you're not this. addicted to YouTube, man. That's my that's my thing before I go no. to sleep as I watch an hour no, of YouTube. The only thing I actually the other night I was having difficulty falling asleep because I'm here for work and my roommate hasn't shown up yet. And you know, I'm not normally used to sleeping in a house by myself, but especially after a year of quarantine, I'm definitely not used to sleeping in a house by myself. Yeah. And I just like couldn't fall asleep and I listened to like Yoga Nidra to fall asleep which is like that relaxation. Yeah. I've recently gotten into that about a year ago. I love yoga. So awesome. um, I didn't know what um, it was at all. And then someone told yeah. me about it. It's, it's, it's fabulous. Um, but another thing they talked about on that podcast was like bathrooms, right. And like, why are bathrooms so gender specific or why does a unisex bathroom um, challenge so many people? 
And, oh yeah. Uh, I mean, it's steeped in so much, you know, just patriarchy for, for a long time. I mean, I even think about it, like going into a locker room at the gym, for instance, I was like, you know, with someone that, you know, was born as a woman, but gender identifies as a man and has had a sex change or not, just gen- would they feel comfortable coming in the men's locker room? Not that they don't want to, but just like, is it, is it an inclusive environment? In a lot of places, probably not, you know, right. like, uh, I'm, I'm, it's fine with me, like personally, but I know like a lot of men, like it, it's just not welcoming, you know? Um, yeah. It's not to like hate on my own sex. It's just, it's like steeped in this long lineage of like this good boys, like, locker room whatever you know it's just it's right just weird, well, I, mean, I mean i think that there's gender stereotypes for locker rooms in both genders you know and yeah like one of for the arguments sure. that joe rogan had on that podcast was saying like well just girls like to go to the bathroom together to do their girl stuff <laughs> dude like, guys go to the bathroom together all the time like yeah I, this is probably tmi <laughs> but i've heard so many guys just in the stalls like completely talking to each other while they're just you know unloading their morning coffee and i'm like this is right. weird dude like well, this is People don't like like I don't think if if you're a woman or a man who is attracted to the opposite sex, then maybe you don't want to like shit in front of each other. And you know, it happens eventually. Like yeah, I know. Like everybody <laughs> poops, um, and that's sort of the only negative thing I can think of to unisex bathrooms is that like yes, we're gonna have to like be we're gonna have to accept the fact that. Everybody poops. Um, But the good (laughs) part that Eddie talked about was like, um, was like, there's also like a lot of bullying that happens in restrooms, especially for, um, for kids and teens. And Mm. that would, that would kind of less, they found in places where they, where they've created unisex bathrooms that that has changed, which is a positive. So again, there's just going to be like a time of discomfort of change where we're all going like, wait, is this, good and also like good and bad like yeah. i don't know i'm going on tangents do you even want to do an introduction or should we just oh no we are this is, i haven't even started the show yet but uh, you know i can you, i can use all of this for <laughs> i can use Great. all of this for our intro um Great. i love how you just come on just like boom here we go um <laughs> we're talking about this yeah. uh no it was so natural to talk to you we were on the phone the other, the other day so it was it was um refreshing you know i think a lot of people i have on the show are like that which is which is great yeah um yeah what what do you want to focus on today though i guess do you want to talk about before we before i do do it i'm going to do an introduction outside of this where i introduce you but you know on the one you sent me there we go yeah so um but all you know do you want to talk about like childhood and relationships and like what we talked about on the phone the other day do you want to we can just have a conversation too i mean it doesn't have to be about yeah, I mean, anything I specifically? Feel like let um let 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 your heart lead um with whatever Sweet. is coming up today. I don't feel that there's anything on the docket. I do have to show you what uh, this is one of my gifts when I fireball. arrived here. Fireball. Nico, have you ever that? seen a bottle of Fireball this big? That's the size of your head. I've literally, I've only <laughs> ever seen the little ones. You know that you get at, like the gas station. The ones that you get. like see like in the middle of a street when someone's passed out and it's on like the top of their head. <laughs> right. Um, or the kind you put in your hot chocolate. It doesn't matter. The point is, yes. this is so much fireball. It and is. I'm yeah. actually scared more about the content of sugar in this than I am about the content of alcohol. That's diabetes in a bottle, my friend. This is what that yeah. is. Anyway, yeah. w- w- welcome. Welcome to work. And what time is it where you are? It's like, it's a little past noon. So you're starting it's, early. Is that what you warm up? Is that how you get the vocal cords like ready? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's how I do it. Haven't even just opened like it. Before scene one, you're just 
Well, you know? it was in my trailer. And I was kind of like, what are you guys trying to... It's a 7 a.m. call. What are you trying to do to me? Um, but no. No, I don't drink and work. That's not... That's not, a, that's not my style. Probably a good idea. But I imagine it is a style that might be sort of common in this, <laughs> for some people. Yeah, honestly... Honestly, I don't know. It's not my yeah. business. Yeah. Here you. Cool. Well, thank you for coming on the show, Cassidy. Um, it's uh, it's interesting how we met, right? Through the um, depths of social media via our dogs, basically. I, um, I don't remember how I found your Instagram account. And I, I think, I don't know if I found you first or if you, or if you found me first, but um, I just saw that you were a dog lover as well too. And this, and like I said, this is before I even knew you were an actor on, you know, bigger shows. I was like, Oh, it's a cool chick with a sweet dog. And she's like traveling all over with this, with this cool dog. Um, and then you saw, you, know, you followed soul and I, and I think soul and I were rough wear athletes at the time. Yes. Um, so soul's getting a lot of press uh, from that company. Yeah. But, uh, Thanks for coming on. I'm excited to. Hey man, even- I, I'm so excited to be here. I, you know, one thing I think we've both talked about our relationships with social media and how they're yes. sort of like torrid love affairs. Um, but yes. one of the good things, one of the positives, and I'm sure we could also go on and on about the negatives, um, is that sometimes you do get to get connected to people that um, you know energetically would be your friend if they lived down the street. Hundred percent. I would. Yeah. Cool. And, yeah, and I think yeah, you hit it on the head. Like I. I have this great appreciation, especially for Instagram, because I've met people like yourself that, you know, are amazing human beings. I've had these very deep conversations with and have become like lifelong great friends. And then it's like, you know, been a time suck. And I've, you know, also wasted time scrolling. Um, yeah, but it's uh, it's an interesting relationship. But I'm thankful ultimately for it because uh, met folks like yourself and special. Yeah. And I just love anyone that can look at my life on Instagram and know what a babe, uh, my dog Shasta was to me. I mean, she was like my, uh, she's my life partner and there's something really beautiful about the relationship between a canine and a human, um, or there can be. And, uh, you know, it just was meant to be. It's funny you mentioned that because, uh, on Wednesday, I just, um, had an episode recorded with, uh, Monica, she's a gal that runs this company called Canine Connection out of BC, Canada. And she was on the Mark Grove show. And he's like a very big dude in the relationship, sort of self-help space. And um, the whole conversation was about the love of a dog and how the love of a dog translates to human love and how they sort of, you know, there's sort of these mirrors of ourselves. You know, we were talking about how when you get angry at your dog, cause it's not doing something you want it to do. The dog like is living in the moment. So the dog right. is like, dude, I didn't realize you didn't want me to smell this shit. Like this shit smells great. Come over here. Smell this shit. Yeah. You know, and, and, um, you know, and you're just like, I told you that 30 times. Totally. The human is just like, and you know, the dog chases off after the deer or whatever. And you're just like, dude, I've been training you. And the dog's like, I didn't, I didn't realize you meant this time. I thought it was last time. Like, you know, it's like, they're so in the moment. And we were just talking about how, how we respond to our dogs, especially in times of trauma is a lot of times how we respond to our partners too. Mm. Um, after we've become, uh, sort of, I guess after we've normalized. Yeah. After we, yeah, exactly. You know, it's just like your dogma comes out for lack of a better word, you know, right? right, it's just like, we'll get angry, raise our voice. So like stomp our foot on the ground. That's kind of what happens in a relationship when we get pissed off. If we haven't, you know, worked on some awareness and be like, um, this isn't going to get the reaction I want, you know? Right. Um, Right. I also think it's funny that people equate, um, people with children get really upset. Uh, This is a, 
generalization, but mm. I've heard friends with my friends with kids be like, yeah, a dog's not a kid. And I want to be like, I know they're better. Um, yeah. Only, oh, and I love kids. Don't get me wrong, but yeah. it's not, it's not about the kid or the dog. It's about human versus animal. And yes. um, I was just listening to like a Ted talk on um, how to, like, not why do we, but like liars, like how do we, like, why do we lie? And why do we mm. talk about lying as such a negative thing when we all do it multiple times yeah. a day? And there's different types of lies, you know, there's yes. true deceit and, and breaking trust. And then there's like the white lies. I don't know why they're called white, but maybe because they're pure, or they're innocent, but. Um, Good question. Yeah. The, the, the white lies. <laughs> um, what about the purple lies? I want to know yeah. about the green lies. Uh, yeah. But, you know, those lies that are meant to, like, protect someone from right. feeling bad, you know, like. And I think uh, I listen to this, this um, if you know Andy Puttacombe, he does, uh, he's just like the Headspace founder, right? He lives in Santa Monica and he had this, he always has these like four minutes a day thing. And one of them was on the idea of lying and that he mm. was talking about white lies and he brings up this monk on, and there was this instance where there was this uh, guy, I think he was at a monastery somewhere in Asia and there was this guy like searching for a monk in training, uh, something had happened between them and he was like going to hurt this man and monks, you know, they were taught not to lie. And the monk that answered the door, like the gentleman asked, you know, is this guy here staying here? And the guy's like, no, he's not here. And he was, you know, and he's like, in that instance, you know, it's a lie to protect someone. But he's like, even if you lie and you betray someone, the point is, is to like recognize why you're lying and to address that, you know, cause right. I, I've, I've made big lies in my life where I'm betraying someone I care about's trust. And then I've told white lies in order to protect people and others, you know? Right. And, and then there are still big lies that are still meant to protect, you know, and, and you have right. to ask yourself to whom are you lying? Um, is that person, is it really that person's business? You know, yep. um, you know, I, I told, I told the uh, immigration, I did not have come on since like from Spain in my bag. And I did, I did. And they took, wait, me. what did you have from Spain? Um, I had Hamon Serrano. I had like, Oh, okay. Okay. Hamon Serrano from yeah. Spain. And they were like, this could have parasites. And I was yeah. like, this is in, this is vacuum sealed in plastic and has been salted for seven years. I'm pretty sure nothing is living in it. Yeah. <laughs> but that's beside the point. The thing that was fascinating to me about this lying pod or TED talk was like, like we, we, we learn how to lie so young as children, yeah. you know, and they have all these studies about, kids crying that you know and then stopping and checking to see like who's coming or by like right. three years old we know how to like manipulate in ways that are crazy that's the key and word is lying yeah. is a part of manipulation whether it's for the betterment of something or to manipulate for like power right, right. um it, but it, lying is always a form of manipulation and i think it's important we be honest about that because like when i've ever i've lied whether it's i'd say a healthy lie or an unhealthy lie it's still manipulation of right. reality of the situation. Right. Yeah. I hear that. Anyway, it's fascinating. So the one thing that dogs just bringing it all the way back, um, dogs can't lie to you. Do you know what I mean? They just Dude, can't. I, I feel like I literally, so my, my, I think it was like my, no, it was a post. Yeah. It was my first Instagram post ever. I shared it. Um, because people, there were some people commenting because I changed my Instagram to have like memes instead of pictures of mountains. It was like self-help memes or relationship memes, which, you know, I've been writing about since I was 22. Uh, but someone was like, I missed the, it was like a bot account, but you know, it's some, some troll. They were like, I miss, um, 
the, the old account that used to be here where you were posting about dogs and trail running. And I was like, um, I've always posted about the shit I'm posting about now and I'm still posting about my dogs. And so I scrolled down to the first Instagram post I ever posted. And I literally, I wrote the best thing about a dog's love is that they can never lie. Like I literally wrote that exact same thing. It's the first, it was in 2014. So it's funny you interest, uh, you say that because it was, uh, I took a photo of soul, you know, with my old potato iPhone from 2014. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was just the same park we've been going to for, you know, past whatever, six, seven years now, but yeah, very true. It is very true. Yeah. And I lost my girl Shasta about a year ago, actually almost exactly a year ago. That's crazy. A year ago next week. Um, and, uh, it was tough, man. It was really tough, but what's beautiful in all loss, um, is at some point it shifts into gratitude for what, for what you had experienced. Um, yeah. So do you think you can go back and forth? Cause for me, you know, when I looked at, look at Lowe's and my grandfather, who's my father figure in life, like I, I went through like a deep sort of depression of trying to understand loss as a young man and then mm-hmm. having gratitude. And then, you know, I'll have a month of still that deep sense of loss and then I'll come back and forth. Or do you find it more linear for yourself where you're like, after the loss, you're kind of in gratitude? No, no, no. I think you totally go back and forth. And I think yeah. certain things can kind of, um, trigger it or bring it back. Um, grief to me is definitely a lifelong process that comes in waves. And I don't think it's something that we, um, in this society, uh, honor enough to be honest or give space for, um, because like anything, if you give it its time to sort of be felt, it will lessen and it will heal faster. Um, if you give it, you know, if you put the bandaid on whatever that is, whether that's like space or time or forgiveness or allowance or, screaming you know we've all heard those stories right. about how like there are other cultures where at a funeral people can just weep you know and openly express this large emotion and usually i've learned that if you're allowed to do that um that that aids in healing it's kind of yes. like you know neosporin for the soul um i but, like that yeah right <laughs> but uh but yeah it definitely comes and goes i find as time goes that though the the tough times are fewer and the waves are smaller than they were in the beginning. And, yeah. uh, and I almost use gratitude as a tool yes. to, uh, to help shift those tides every time it does happen. It's interesting because I, I constantly, I don't know why I've always had this image in my head, but whenever I die, I, I wrote this in my will. Like I want to put a certain amount of money to a funeral. So people don't have to pay for my funeral, first of all, but also mm-hmm. so people can come and like dance. Like I want yeah. people to come and celebrate life and not mourn a death, you know, like, um, I felt like my grandfather's funeral was like that. I gave uh, his eulogy this was in 2012. And uh, one of the things was everyone wears black all the time. And I wore like this kind of lilac colored shirt with bright colors because I was like, I'm not really here to be somber. Like I, I miss this man who was my, you know, father figure my whole life, but I'm here to celebrate the 80 years that he gave, you know, not the right. other ones that he's not going to get. And, you know, I want people to come that are my friends and, and meet each other and celebrate and make connections. So that way, like those, those connections are interwoven and that's another gift you pass on, you know? Yeah. I, I sometimes wonder if funerals are actually for the living. Oh, hundred percent. Um, I had a, I can't remember which friend told me this. We're talking about suicide. Um, but he said, <laughs> Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, we, I've talked about this a lot. I mean, it's some, I mean, yeah. something we need to talk about more because it is a problem. Um, and we were talking about, you know, him and I both have sort of intimate experiences with suicide. And, 
uh, he was like, you know, he's like, I bet you if someone could watch their own funeral, 90% of, 90% of people would kill themselves. And I'm not laughing at this. I'm just saying like that idea, it's very dark. He's, he's a comedian, but it's like, I'm like, you know what? That might be true because people, sometimes people like are so hurt, you know, um, this is a tangent, but they're so hurt. They're just like, want to take themselves out and really see other people sort of mourn them because they mm. didn't appreciate them when they were, or they weren't mm. there for, for them when they were alive. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it was really, it kind of like threw me for a loop. Cause I was like, that's such a weird thing to think about, you know, the way he explained it. And he was, you know, sort of minorly joking in a very deep, dark way about something very serious. Uh, but then when I started talking to him about it more, I'm like, that kind of makes sense actually. You know, it's fascinating. I mean, it's interesting. I just watched uh, Harold and Maude again recently and I forgot it's been a long time and I forgot like how many times, um, what's his name? Court, Bud Court is the young man in that film. How many times his character like pretends to commit suicide in front of his mother just to see her reaction. And it's, it's interesting because the beginning of the movie, like, you know, he'll have, done some falsified version of suicide and she'll just like walk in the room like he's not hanging from the rafter and then walk out of the room and um and you're kind of it's jarring at first yeah. and you're like what is this weird artsy like 70s film um and i think it was risque and it was whatever but it actually speaks to like a, a real wound um and just not feeling seen and yeah. not feeling like your life matters or right. you know and agreed yeah, it's, it's think, a fascinating thing. Speaking from my own experience with suicide, like I think the majority, and this is not all, but a lot of suicides happen because of a deep-seated loneliness. Because you can be in a relationship, you can be in a marriage and still feel immensely lonely or not seen or not met, you know, on a certain level. Sure. And I think it's just the lack of connection because you can't just depend on everything from one partner, whether it's, you know, your, your, your wife, your spouse, your husband or whomever, you know, you have to get it from other people. We're community-based organisms, you know, like mm-hmm. we've, we've survived because we're good at teamwork. Deep down inside, we are good at teamwork. We might not like display this, you know, especially right now. Right. But, well, um, and even the people that say that we're supposed to be nomads and we are, you know, we're yeah. not, you know, that whole, if you've read or listened to Sapiens, which is a mm. fascinating book. Right. Um, but even in those, it, even if the communities are not as large as communities are today, i.e. like cities like New York yeah. or, you know, Austin or um, Charleston, uh, we are supposed to be in group. We are supposed to be in village. Yeah. You think about group meditation, even like I can meditate by myself. I can do yoga by myself and it's quite powerful. It's nice, especially when you get into it. But when I go to a group and if you're chanting or if you're sitting with 20 other people meditating, there is just something different about it. Like I can get into a deeper state of uh, sort of, I would say transcendence or I'm just, I'm vibrating different because other people around me, I can feel their energy. And it's, it sounds like, whoa, and it sounds, it's very much Sedona, but it's not, it's just, it's real. Like it's, no, it's not at all. Right. At least for meditation. And I meditate as well. I'm a Vedic meditator. And, um, you know, the way that we're taught when when we, when we take knowledge is like when you meditate, it's ripple effect. Right. So someone, if I'm sitting in my house meditating as I do twice a day for 20 minutes, which is really not that much time. And weirdly the day becomes longer when you yeah. do that. And I mm. like, you just don't, I don't, I don't understand that. And I, and I won't try at this point. If someone's walking by my house or wherever I am meditating, they're going to feel better just walking by. Mm-hmm. And that's awesome. And if you have yeah. more people, it's exponential. Right. Um, you know, even during, even when this pandemic started, my, my, uh, my meditation teacher started doing online group meds and 
I just, I, I try to always make them twice a week because it's yeah. better. Even with a phone in front of me, knowing that there's 20 people in that Zoom yep. meditating. I think it, I think you see this phenomena play out in some, in almost everything about humans. Like when you look at music, like music sounds better with a company. Like it mm-hmm. sounds like bands sound better, the richer they get, you know, and mm-hmm. the more people you get, cause there's more minds and more collaboration. And same with even like, if you're training for anything, right. Um, like if you were just acting in a silo, like you wouldn't have someone to play off. Like you don't get all that energy and that sort of different, you know, it, it's, it's well, so even different. Like, even like the person you're acting with, first of all, that's funny that you say that because I think a lot of acting teachers get down on actors because they think it's like one of the few art forms you don't have to practice. You know, hmm. like a cellist would never show up to a concert not having played their cello every day right. leading up to oh, yeah. it. Right. Yeah. But actors are like, I'm just going to show up and do this. Like, but the hard thing is with whom do we act if we're by right. ourselves? You know what I mean? Someone can practice their cello on their own. Right. Um, so I think that's, that's fascinating because we don't usually practice with ourselves, but the energy that also is included in any performing art, whether it's musical or theatrical is the audience, right? Yes. And having to do shows um, to an empty audience is just, you'll, it'll never feel the same. That's a no. great example especially with um, theater. Like you look at oh, Shakespearean yeah. plays from back and I mean, like it was built on the communication with the audience. Like, you know, those plays are very interactive, you know? Mm-hmm. And like, now you think of COVID it's just changed. I mean, it's, I'm sure it's going to return to normal, but it's changed a lot of, a lot of those things we sort of take I for think granted. We should challenge ourselves to not say return to normal. Okay. That's right. Right. I agree. Yep. Very true. Like, very return true. Return to like, not even return, yeah. like evolve like, to something. Yeah. I like that better. Yeah. Cause we don't yeah. want to go back, man. It was, it wasn't that great. We need to get better anyways. Yeah. It's, we were I doing agree. some fucked up shit guys. Yeah. So, you know, we need to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. And, and I don't know. I just keep hearing people say, you know, what came after the plague was a renaissance. So I am um, yep. eager to see what's to come. Yep. Me Did too. you feel during this time, like you had to like accomplish something? Did you, were you challenged by that or were you kind of like, just going to ride this out? Not personally, because I went through a big breakup. Like uh, my, my partner at the time and I split up in May of 2020 um, the day before I had major shoulder surgery scheduled mm-hmm. and, uh, it was completely yeah, out of the blue for me. Maybe did enough this year. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah. I think I just didn't have enough time to sort of like have, you know, I was still pursuing things, but for four months after that, I was really working on like getting stable and healing, you know, and really mm-hmm. understanding my role in the, um, you know, end of the relationship. And I'm still doing that, but I'm, I'm on the healthier end now. You know, I think when it first happens and you care a lot, it's like a shot through the heart. Right. I mean, there's a song about it. It's, it's just, uh, you feel like your world, <laughs> right? I don't know if I have the pipes. Um, but, uh, it, it might sound a little bit more Neo soul and less like arena rock. Um, but <laughs> oh man, I would, pl- I would play that song if I wasn't going to get sued by copyright law, but, uh, it's good, good interjection there. Yeah, you need an assistant in the corner where you're just like, go. Yep go press the button. No, I hear that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think if if that wasn't a huge thing, you know, that along with COVID, along with being isolated, you know, along with the injuries, I was still working through from my, from my Mm -hmm. crash, uh, being a single dog dad to two dogs. Uh, that actually makes it a lot harder. I will say I've had soul for almost eight years now and we've just been us two. And I have Seggy now who I got in my last relationship. And, um, 
I don't care what people say. Two dogs is a little more work. Like people are like, oh, two dogs. It's like two cats. It's like just as easy. And it's not. Um, it's, you're like, it's a lot. Keep each other company. And you're like, no. No, because my soul loves him, but she's very much a human dog. Like she'll, she's a therapy dog. So she'll come sit by you. Seggy is, is a dog dog. Like he, you know, mm-hmm. he enjoys the finer things of being a dog, like putting his face in manure and um, mm-hmm. sitting in mud. You know, soul like <laughs> stay, stays very clean. You know, Seggy is full on wildebeest you know he's uh he reminds me of a javelina i don't know if you know what those are they're uh, i don't like i'm sure so they're native to sonoran desert where i grew up and they're you know wild pigs wild boars basically but they're very cute um and super smart and they knock trash cans over and eat trash and that's what he would do if he lived outside that's what he would do so no that's that's interesting because shasta was absolutely a a human dog um To the point where when I flew with her, like people were flabbergasted yep. with how like obedient she was. I didn't even have to put a leash on her. And she just yep. didn't, yeah, she didn't like to do that other dog stuff. Like she was no. never going to go run and like roll around on a cow pie. Right. Um, she did the one dog thing. She, she would chase a tennis ball into a volcano. Yeah. Like yeah. this dog just could not stop. <laughs> chasing the ball even when she had like torn both her ccls like she and we had a tplo surgery on one knee and the other one was a partial tear and she was too old to get the surgery and i just i didn't want you know and i would try and throw the ball not as far so like hopefully she wouldn't hurt herself but i couldn't keep it from her yeah she's arthritic and 14 years old and like all she wants you to do is throw the ball but other than that very human whereas now my partner ben and i like he had a dog olive who i think is she just turned four um so we've been together since before he got her but you Mm. know he's she's his dog um we weren't living in the same place when he got her and now she's she's the family dog but she's she's a dog like she's just a dog full-on she will just she will, will be on a run in the mountains and she will just bolt and I get nervous because I'm like, do we, Olive, where's Olive? And he's like, she's fine. She's wearing a bear ball. She'll be fine. And like, he's cool. He's so mellow. And I'm like yeah. having a full on anxiety attack because yeah. I don't think Shasta was ever three feet away from me. No, same with Sarah. Um, so yeah. yeah. And having those two dogs in one house, I'm sure is a little bit more work. It is. And, but it's, it's lovely. I mean, Segi, he's brilliant. You have, shouldn't like, to, although funny story. Um, I don't know if we're going to make this about, uh, our dog love, but I'm totally cool with that too. Uh, so I give, I give my dogs a post about this on Instagram. I give my dogs these marrow bones. Uh, well, I give them, I spoil the shit out of them, but, yeah. uh, you know, they have, you're like, totally, obviously I do too. Uh, um, so these marrow bones from whole foods are, are quite long, right. And they're, they're super expensive, but there's another, uh, grocery store in town that has really cheap marrow bones and they're skinnier. And I never thought about this, but they're sort of donut shaped and hypothetically something could get stuck in it you know, if it wasn't paying attention and that's something that happens to be my dog's face. Um, so I was actually recording a, an episode this a couple nights ago and I hear like a whimper and Seggy never cries. He's like completely just, he's just a sausage with legs, you know? And so I walk outside and he's crying and I'm like, what's going on? Did Sol, you know, beat his ass? Cause sometimes she'll just kind of go, Hey, yeah. on him cause he's not yeah. paying attention. And, um, <clears throat> I look at his mouth and he has the, the marrow bone stuck on his bottom jaw over his canines. It's like lodged in his jaw and I'm, I'm trying to pull it out and it's not moving. I'm like, dude, you got this thing stuck on your face. And soul has the same bone. She's looking at him like, dude, I didn't have a problem with it. Like right. what's wrong? You know? Loser. Yeah. She's like complete moron, <laughs> you know? And, uh, and, and he's like crying. I'm like, I can't get this shit off. So I had to call our, or thankfully our good friend of ours is a vet in town. 
I called her and she was about to fly to Tahoe for a ski trip. And she's like, just come over right now. We'll, you know, sedate him and take it off. So I drive over there and uh, we didn't have to sedate him. We, she ended up with two people. We could get it off, but it was like, just sort of hilarious where I was like, "Can I? you're going to laugh. Okay. I was here in Charleston shooting season one mm-hmm. and um, I had Shasta with me because she travels with me whenever I would work. <clears throat> and I get a text message from Ben and it's just a picture of Olive with a marrow bone trapped on her bottom jaw over the canines. And he's like, I don't, I don't know how she did this. She's such an idiot. Like, how do I fix this? And I was like, well, you, you take her to the vet. And he's like, no, there's gotta be another way. Dude. I was was like, like, maybe I'll get, maybe I'll get my jigsaw out. And the vet's like, no. And I was like, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) This is not the first time that's happened, but it's like, it's kind of like trying to fit like a really big desk through a doorway. You're like, I gotta like, Right. And you get it stuck in the perfect angle. And if you weren't the person that put it in, you just don't know how to get it out. You know, that's, that's what, that's what happened. Cause I was like, dude, you got this on like based on physics, you know, I'm a, I'm a human. I have fingers. I should be able to get this off. You know, I get the problem here, buddy. I got you. And he's looking at me like, okay, let's do this. And I couldn't get it off. I'm like, dude, I'm sorry. You're fucked. You're going to, you're going to have this ring on your face for the rest of your life. And now, you know, um, you know, included like coconut oil or some sort of like lubricant. Dude, I put a uh, dish soap on his face because uh, <laughs> I didn't have any coconut oil. And uh, he obviously he was not stoked on that. Um, he's pretty mellow dog, but he's just foaming at the mouth then. And then I'm trying to pull this freaking ring that he's lodging his jaw. Oh my God. So funny just, that that happened to both of our non-human dogs. Yeah. Um, but that just goes to, to show amazing. there's a difference, mm-hmm. you know, like there is, I love there is. them equally as much, um, yes. but soul would never do that. You know, she would, she would think she'd be like, you know what? My face can probably get stuck in this. I'm probably not going to put it in there. Like, you know, whereas Seggy's just like, this feels awesome. I'm going to keep doing it. You know, Um, like one of them could be a drug addict, you know, if they were humans, the other one, probably not. Yeah. Um, I think we know which one. Right. (laughs) Keep the catnip away from Seggy. Yes. He's gotten into some of that too. Um, Yeah. We used to have cats, but uh, yeah, too funny. So yeah. So that's how we met. Was yes, loving, your dogs. dogs on Instagram. Yeah. And I thought your your name, you should actually talk about this because your your Instagram uh, tag hat face was intriguing to me because I love hats. I grew up like sort of kind of ranch, uh, you know, around horses kind of deal. And um, my whole family, a bunch of, you know, cow folk. And I, I love hats, like just any kind of hats. Uh, and so you, I think like you, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're like into hats. Super into yeah, yes. that's where the tag comes from. Yeah. So yeah. but you started it because you didn't think like Instagram was really going to be a thing oh, yeah. that was part of your work. Oh, no, 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 no. So I've obsessively taken pictures since I was a little girl. Um, I begged my dad for a camera because he was the one that always took photographs in our family. And um, I, I honestly don't know how he has some of the shots he's taken. He's by no means like a trained photographer, but... Um, he was so incredibly good at finding moments where the candid moments where no one was looking at the camera. Um, he also obsessively forces everyone to look at the camera as well, but Mm. especially in the, in the younger years and my mother, um, who sadly I lost about eight and a half years ago, um, to cancer, but she, um, she just was like the most beautiful woman in the world. And she, she was even more beautiful in the moments when she didn't know anyone was looking at her. And my dad found those moments. And so I have just this beautiful collection of photographs. So my dad was always the one with the camera. And so when I got interested, I went to him and he kind of gave me this old Pentax of his 
that um, was the kind of camera that had like it had a light monitor inside that you had to there was like a circle and then this like um, this line that you had to line up inside the circle to know that your aperture and your shutter speed were at a good level for light and that's sort of how i learned how to take photographs to begin with was with this old like hand winding pentax that took 35 millimeter film and it was really awesome um and then my dad and i would bond over like going to wolf camera in chicago where i grew up and like getting Mm. our our pictures developed so i have always loved taking photographs i've always shared my photographs i've always opted to be like the person in the group that takes the photo and then like sends everyone doubles or now you know sends everyone files Uh, but i yeah, I just, I, I loved it. And, and so when I heard that there was going to be this app that you could like share photos, having tried to like figure out Tumblr, which being not as advanced technologically as I wish I were, <clears throat> was hard for me. Um, mm-hmm. And I, and I thought, well, this is really cool. This is an app where we just get to share photos and like pretty pictures. I honestly never even thought about sharing a picture like of myself doing what I'm doing right now. You know what I mean? Like it just didn't even, and it definitely didn't cross my mind that Instagram would be like something I used for work as an actor right. in Hollywood. Right. Um, I thought we could share photos. And so Hatface is my handle. And that's mm. because my mother um, almost angrily always told me that I looked good in hats. She always said I had a face for hats. Um, so that's why I chose it was because my mom and, um, <clears throat> and and then like as it. things progressed and all of a sudden Instagram became like this necessary vehicle for like yeah. forwarding your career, even though I don't believe that entirely. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't change it just cause I, I wanted to keep it the same. Well, now it's you. It's like totally your brand. Some people just call me at face. <laughs> yeah. They're just, they don't know your name. They're just they like, Hey, at face. Yeah. yeah face. And then I'm sure when I tried to get verified, um, you know, with the blue check mark and everything, they're like, hat things. The fuck? But they did. Have <laughs> I guess, I guess I'm, <laughs> I guess I'm, I'm special. Oh know? my God. They're like, but, is this lady real? I think she yeah, is. Yeah, they're like, um, hat face. Okay. Well, did you, sure. had you been on Instagram long when I first started following you? Because, or uh, I guess maybe you didn't like, you know, you didn't, uh, Cause you, you sort of like people started noticing that that was you all of a sudden, because I felt when I started following you, you, you didn't have like a ton of followers. And then all of a sudden it was like, okay, people realized that you were you. And it was like, boom, your, your following sort of lit yeah, up. Yeah, It was kind of a slow, it was kind of a slow burn to be honest. Um, okay. Twitter, I feel like is one of the like lowest forms of communication of all time. And yeah. even though I still have a Twitter account, um, I'm never on it. And yeah, uh, I think I, I deleted last Twitter. night for the first time. <laughs> six wow. months only because i was watching like that billy eichner show billy on the street and i couldn't mm. stop laughing at one of the skits um and so i tagged my brother because i know he uses twitter but anyway uh beside the point um yeah. that it's that exploded immediately um and i think i think part of the slow burn on instagram was because i wasn't using my real name but i also think um i don't tend to share like clickbait i don't tend to share thirsty shit that like you know, of me. look, there's, there's logarithms, right? And what's, what's oh, tough yeah. about this is like, we know that when we, um, when we post a photograph of our face, uh, without sunglasses and without a mask, like that's going to get the most hits, right? Mm-hmm. 
And when we post a picture of our face and our cleavage, that's going to get even more hits or, yeah. you know, what, or a six pack or, you know, whatever. Or a butt. Like, just, yeah, or a butt. Like, you know, even though, God forbid, don't show the nips on Instagram because they will right. shut that shit down. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's it, we could probably have a whole podcast about that. Oh, we should talk about like, this. We'll crack this egg open right now. Yeah, right? Like, um, I just don't, I don't post that shit. And, yeah. and not, not because I'm against, like, female bodies or owning your sexuality or yeah. I don't, I'm not trying to slut shame anyone. Like, Mm. do you you know what yeah. I mean but at the same time it's all about intention right like right. lie your face off but why are you lying um yeah. you know post the picture but why are you posting it and oh man and it's it's fascinating so I just didn't because it just doesn't come naturally to me I don't think yes like, I'm gonna take a I'm gonna take a selfie by the pool and well, inauthenticity out. doesn't come naturally to you. And that's why I think I was initially attracted to following you. Cause I read your post. Oh, I read thanks. your writing. That's I was so like, rad. yeah, yeah. You know, authenticity is something that I, I only follow people I think are authentic. I don't give a shit if you're a famous person, if you're a pro athlete, if you're an actor, I, it doesn't matter to me. You're just a human being, right. you know? And if you have something to teach me, I'm going to follow you. If cool. you're authentic and I think you're really living it. Cause I think there's a lot of people out there posting shit on Instagram, you know, they'll grab a, a quote somewhere and, you know, toss up a, a photo, you know, and it's like, oh, this person's super deep. And then you like sort of look at what's really going on. You're like, <laughs> no, that's just kind of like on brand. That's like in right now, you know, to be like right. spiritually awakened. And it's a lot of work to actually like do that in real time. It's not that much work to sort of get a quote off the internet and, you know, post a photo of, you know, your nice butt. But right. And like there's different versions of keeping up with the Joneses, right? Yes. There's like that old version of like you have to have a certain house or a certain car right. or like or your kids have to go to a certain school. And then there's also like keeping up with the, I love how you said on brand. That's that makes so much sense to me. Like sometimes I'll look at things, whether it's on Instagram or even in, in real life, you know, and I'll just be like, oh, this feels really staged or yeah. like something inauthentic. There's something about oh, yeah. this that doesn't feel real. Um, yes. And fantasy is fun. That's great. It's why we go to movies. It's why we watch stories. But at the same time, like, I don't know. I just feel like the, the scales have tips to, to like well, being hungry for what's real. I like how you bring up the idea of of like theater and acting and, you know, because we're watching a screen, but we're expecting that this isn't real, although it really is close to reality. And, and a lot of stories are based on true stories and it is, you know, real, but it's but it's someone wrote a script and there's people acting. But in real life, like in real life we sort of right. have kind of been accustomed to become professional actors. And so it's right. interesting when you brought up like some actors just show up and they're like, I don't have to practice my instrument. I'm like, probably because we're acting a lot of the time nowadays, you know, like that. we're, we're that. sort of, and I want to talk to you about this. Cause I, I really, how do you separate that? Because you're, you have <clears> to, you know, be a character, right? You turn it on and right. you, you know, be this, a different person than who you are. That's but right. some people I see probably have a, an issue turning that off and then they come out of a role and I think that that's what we're happening on social media, whether it's TikTok or Instagram, we're acting because we're like a influencer, you know, influencer is right. another word for actor, right? You're influencing something, you're influencing yeah. emotion, you're invoking a response, Maybe you're selling performer. a product. Performer. Sure. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'm, I'm not, yeah, I'm not underplaying the skill that it takes to be <laughs> no, an amazing no, no, actor. No, yeah. But there are some people on Instagram that are like, that are like, oh damn, this person's a really good actor. Like legitimately I am, I am really like entertained right now, you know? Right. Um, but they're, they're sort of like that outside too, but it's really not them. It, and it's weird because it, it is a sort of passing judgment here, but not in a bad way. It's just, I just think it's important to be aware of it, how, you know, since before social media and before Instagram and Facebook blew up, 
that really didn't exist. You had people on the screen acting, you know, and we would, you know, watch them, but now mm-hmm. everyone's on the screen acting, right? you know, in some yeah. way. I almost, you know. I almost need us to like go back and replay everything you just said in the last 30 seconds. Cause I have about a million responses and I think oh, it's such a good question. And I think it's so complex and layered and, yeah. and I think there's so much to it. Um, uh, and, and, and I use the word complex instead of complicating because it's not complicated, but it's, 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 there's so many nuances to this. Yes. And I think it's fascinating. Yep. Um, first of all, I tweeted about Billy Eichner last night. And then the only other thing I tweeted was my brother posting something. His name is Clark Freeman, um, where he, he said like, all of you people on TikTok are like incredibly comfortable in front of the camera. It's really impressive because it's to say what you just said, like we all are performing and look, we have no idea if people performed in their life before social media, they may have on right. a much smaller scale with the people with whom they be, they came in contact with, but right. we won't know that. Right. It wasn't projected across these platforms. Right. Um, so I think that's, I think that's absolutely fascinating that we all do have sort of this dual this dualness to us, this duality of yeah. um, who am I when I'm projecting and who am I when I'm on my own? And I actually think coming back to suicide, uh, we're yeah. just going to keep full circling this. I think Let's it's it. a huge problem for mental health, especially social media for younger generations before you have a sense of identity, before yes. you've been able to be fed by your caregivers or those around you or mentors or teachers or parents or whomever that you're, totally good with who you are. Um, you know, I remember as a kid learning that I didn't get invited to a party and it was crushing, you know, mm-hmm. and the only way I learned that was the next day at school, you know, but I wasn't learning that stuff constantly on social media and then also being called names or, but, you know, it's just, I, it's, it's a whole nother world, but bringing it back to acting, yeah. um, there are so many different types of actors, right? Yes. Like there are actors that you literally go, God, where have I seen them? Or they seem mm. familiar. Mm-hmm. And then you look up, you know, cause we can do that now. You look up yep. like their entire history and you're like, holy shit, they've been in so many things. Yep. And those are actors that have been able to morph for you, you know, and really be the character that, or the actors that have chosen to, or weren't encouraged to um, be in the public eye, right. Mm-hmm. Chosen to like not get involved in celebrity. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know, and then, and, and I, and I think that's fascinating. And some people yeah. in my business might say that they're the more quote talented actors. Mm. Um, I just think it's a different type of acting because I agree. I, I, I want to ask people like, well, how do you qualify, um, a good actor? I mean, it's a yeah. subjective thing. Right. And so a good actor, you know, someone in the acting world or in the theater world might say that a good actor is someone who can really be a chameleon. And it's like, that's rad. But you know who else I'll watch every single day is Paul Rudd. I will watch that man do anything. And let's be honest, he's not that different from role to role. No, I mean, even when he posted that thing about wearing masks on social media that blew up, I thought was hilarious. But he was the same character. He would be Ant-Man versus like whoever else. And I was right. like, this shit's still fucking brilliant. Like he's right. funny as hell. And that's you know? not and a hit to Paul Rudd. He is no. so, he is so kind and, and yeah. relatable and ingratiating. And like, you just want to be his friend. Yeah, like there's totally. no, he's sweet and he's like, he's funny, but not because he's trying and there's just something yeah. so cool about him. Right. Right. So, but, and, and I'm sure 
look, I don't know Paul Rudd. I've never met him. I'd love to, Paul. So if you're listening, just give me a call and let's go get a coffee. But he, he, look, he may have parts of him that can delve into a totally different realm. And maybe he has done that in movies that we've never seen or um, on stage in theater. We won't know. But what is given to us in the name of Paul Rudd, what is given to us in the name of Julia Roberts, mm-hmm. what is given to us in the name of these actors that are household names, yeah. everyone could would know who they are um, or right. would recognize them in a photograph. And they kind of play, they have an essence to them that's almost unchangeable no matter yeah. what character. I don't want to say they play the same character or they do the same thing because I'm sure they don't. I'm sure they have a, a total like level of progress and like their their process of what they do but there's an element to them that's almost un un, like you can't shield it because it's who they are right yes one one thing that when you brought up paul rudd and i don't just want to talk about like hollywood people but um i used (laughs) i used to be i think you should call this podcast the hollywood people um yeah it's i have a I, when I when I used to watch Matthew McConaughey, I was like, this guy plays the same dude every time. He has the same voice. He's got, but he's mm-hmm. he's I mean, really good, obviously. But it's funny, like when I as I got older, I kind of started to see like the like the subtleties of the difference in the characters he was playing. Where when I was younger, I was like, God, it's the same voice, kind of the same dude, you know. Um, but he's able to sort of be. I don't know. He just owns that. He just owns that. And there's something interesting about that. I feel like from from a, when I look at like how we separate going back to a, you know, real basis, not being in front of a camera, but how we separate the deep self from the surface self. And a lot of people in the therapy realm will talk, you know, depression, suicide, anxiety. A lot of that comes because we can't be ourselves or we can't be seen for who we are Mm. for the people that matter, you know, the people Mm. that really matter to us. Right. And I think that's the hard thing about being in Hollywood or being a famous musician or, or performer or entertainer or whatever, because you sort of, and not everyone does this, but you have to have the service self. I, what I admire is when someone can be in the public eye and be exactly who they are every single time and still be respected and value for their talent. I mean, that to me is inspiring because I'm like, we don't have to act when the camera is turned off. Even, you know, you can be you. And if you're an interesting, wonderful human being, the, the people like people will legitimately see that and value it. And I think you can see that with, you know, a lot of people, a large followings. Like, I mean, some people follow for a facade and that's <clears throat> what they, what's they, what they want. Like some people follow that. And then some people follow people because they're real and they're talented and they just right. happen to be. I think the question both. too might be, and even like earlier, a pre-question to that might be, yeah. um, do they know who they are and do they like who they are? Amen. Exactly. And and yes, well, because that's, that's sort of the theory is, is the the bigger this, the gap is between your surface and your deep self, the space in between is your disconnection with who you are. You don't know yourself. You most certainly don't have self-love. You probably don't practice, you know, you probably are self-sabotaging a lot of ways because you're sort of setting yourself up for failure. And I noticed this in my own life when I was sort of acting as an athlete or acting as a musician, you know, I've always been a very authentic person, but I think that when you're younger, you're a little bit more, malleable to sort of acting like uh, someone you look up to, whether it's a musician or an athlete, like, Oh, I need to be like this. I need to be stoic and tough and not admit weakness or not admit, you know, like this yeah. and that. And now and I'm just also, like, th- there's, and, and with acting, at least because that's what I can speak to or performing yeah. maybe as well um, in music or whatever. Like yeah. there's actually a third character mm-hmm. that we're not talking about. And that is who you are in the element of acting like so there's the person you are at home 
right? Like with your family, with your dog, with, you know, whatever you have, you interact with the coffee shop person and you go to the grocery store and you do your daily shit. And then there's the character you're playing, right? Which may or may not be like you, but doesn't really matter because it's a character and it's, there's, Mm -hmm. there's a, there's an immediate separation there just by name and description and the fact that you're on a show. And then there's who you are in that element, which for me is different, right? It's like like your workplace. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's It's like your workplace person. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess that could be true for people who go into um, offices or maybe have a, a, a more, I don't want to say normal, but maybe a more relatable workplace. Yeah, it's like, more like corporate or more standardized. Like you go yeah. to an office with like 10 people every day. You know, you can't sort of be your normal, normal self. Although I think the healthiest, healthiest office spaces are when everyone feels like they're personal friends and they're connected on that level and they value each right. other because if everyone's sort of acting and there's, you know, or they don't get along, then there's unhealthy environments and you probably don't produce as good of work. At the end right, of the- right. But like, even if like, say I'm having a shit day, right. Yeah. And I, for whatever reason, and it's not even because of anyone at work or anything that happened with work, it's totally personal. I have to put that away when I go to work. Yes. Do you know what I mean? I have yeah. to be able to put that at least in my back pocket instead mm-hmm. of being wearing it on my chest because, yes. um, and then I can do things like there's that, like, use it, use it in the scene. What kind of yeah. scene are you doing? Use it, you know, and whatever I can play with that. But like, there is just a certain, so, so that's fascinating too. Right. And, and the person that you are when you're alone at home might be different and more introverted or more reflective than the person that you are out in the world. Uh, yes. Um, versus like the person that an actor is playing. Yes. Right. So that, that too is fascinating. And, and do you like each of those? I mean, you may hate your character. We all have to play really right. scary characters, but do you like those two people too? So even non-actors have yeah. to deal with different versions of themselves, even outside of social media, right? It's yes. like, who do we project to the world and who do we project um, and, who, and who do we accept or, or who are we when we're at home? And who are we really? Like, I think, I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's the, the beautiful thing is like to really just be that one human being the entire time. Like that's what I really try to embody is that no matter who I'm with or, you know, if there's a camera on or not, I try to hold myself to the same morals, ethics, values. And, you know, mm. if I make mistakes, take accountability, no matter what situation I'm in. And I think that's why a lot of people connect with me and are very vulnerable. Like I'll meet someone off the street and they'll just start talking to me about mm. like trauma or their childhood or whatever. And I think it's because like, I- I'm just open. Like I'll talk about my stuff too. Like I, even if I've just met someone, you know, like, um, because if someone is going to take that in a negative aspect, it's okay. Probably that pr- person's probably not meant to be in my life, but the people that are, it's just like magnets, like just yeah. gravitate towards me immediately. And they're like, wow, this person cares. About, yeah, but I'm about to tell that you say that I used to travel when my 20s, I was in a long distance relationship between Los Angeles and New York. And so I was on and because of work, I was just on a plane like every other week. Mm-hmm. I'm not proud of that carbon footprint, by the way. But um, <laughs> I and I, I was going to write this book called Girl in the Middle Seat because mm-hmm. um, that's what I had named it. And I started I like writing it. it. Because I had the same experience where I would sit down, I'd put on my headphones, I'd like pull out my book or my journal or whatever I was going to do. And this, and and like nine times out of 10, this person next to me would be like, I got divorced last week. And I'm like, okay. Dude, same thing. Yeah, let's talk about that. Okay. 
how are you feeling? Yeah, <laughs> no, same just, thing. And it's not normal for a lot of people, but for me, it's super normal. Like people Very. do that and you are that kind of person. And that's why I like yes. s- started talking. Cause like, I don't know, there's just something with this. Yeah. She gets it. So I told, that's a great name. You should write that thing, dude. Yeah, I think I will. Um, I think, I think I still will. And what it was, yeah. was a, as actually a bunch of short stories of the stories that I, that I heard. Yes. Um, uh, and not really about me, but like yeah. the people I was sitting with. So I had a similar book idea. It's a little bit darker. Okay. No one steal this, by the way, because I'm going to leave this here. I, no one steal mine either. Yeah. Don't steal my title specifically. But um, so I've been a, a, good, a big fan of trains since I was a kid. Right. And as I got older and re- read more into mental health and, uh, and stuff like that. So I live in Flagstaff, Arizona. It's a huge uh, train town. Right. I mean, it's, it was yeah, built on the railroad. Beautiful. I love the train station there or the trains where I've seen them. Yeah. Yeah. And so same with, you know, Santa Fe. And uh, but we have a ton of suicide at altitude again to bring bring back to suicide. We have a ton of youth, a ton of, you know, uh, well, any, any age really, but, um, our suicide rate is really high and there's been studies correlating altitude with depression and mental illness. And, you know, wow. um, yeah, yeah. It's especially in, in elite athletes as well too, because you're so depleted, you know, emo- emotionally, physically. Um, but I, I had this idea cause I'm like, how many people you, do you not hear about that? Like lay on the tracks and, you know, literally, um, you know, die by suicide. And I wanted to go interview train conductors because these people are driving a giant metal object and they can't stop it, but they are right. looking and they can stay to see this. And so they're, they're inadvertently connected with this person's weave of life, you know, through throughout for the rest of their life, they have a bond boom immediately. Cause they've seen this person's last moment. Right. It, they don't know the rest of their backstory. And I would almost want to connect the two where I kind of investigate the backstory and find the train conductor that was involved in this and ta- and ask him about what, what, what is their life like, you know? And because of that just relationship with death is so interesting because they didn't sign up for that. It's like they woke up driving a train, maybe from let's say Texas to Portland, Oregon. And this could happen two or three times on their way. God, I, know, didn't, in, I, I would never even think that that was like a thing. That's something that you think of like in an old movie or something. I think it would be a great film, honestly, because if you just think about like the, it's like one of those films like, um, like, uh, like drive where they have a bunch of different plot lines going on at the same time, you know, where there's like seven train conductors and they're all sort of living these different lives, but they're experiencing the pain of loss of these people. They don't know whether it's a child or uh, an adult, you know, or, or a homeless person that just fell and like, you know, fell asleep or something. You know, I think that like, uh, there's just so many ways. And I, I just, I don't know. It, it <clears throat> seemed like something that is very human that we can t- right. talk about suicide in a way that um, is super real. Also from the perspective of how this country was really built, which is through railroad. And, you know, it's just, yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's just a fascinating it's interesting. idea in and of itself. Like yeah. just railroads are, especially in this time. Where because a railroad countries. is a lifeline, was a lifeline yeah. for the U.S. forever. And now it's like, it's the opposite, you know, of that in, in these instances, in this specific moment, mm. you know, it's taking away. Look at that. Yeah. That's a beautiful, like, um, juxtaposition of what it represents. I mean, railroads were the original veins of this country, right? Exactly. That's like how things got exactly everywhere. And other countries have adopted like Japan and Europe have adopted speed trains and kept railroads as part of their system. And yeah. we really haven't because, you know, <clears throat> oil companies, anywho. <laughs> well, we still have trains moving around. We're just, we just don't, we don't interact with them as much as humans. Like not a lot of people travel by train, you know? Right. Um, but no, completely agree. Um, I think trains anyways, are so cool. They are cool. And it's honestly a pretty, um, 
it's a more environmentally friendly way to travel because it's mass transit, you know, specifically mm-hmm. if you, you know, have an electric solar power train, there's a lot of, or hydroelectric power. I mean, we can go on for that forever. Yeah. I want to talk about this. No, shit, but, but the other thing yeah. that, that made me think about was like, I, I too am fascinated by that. I'm fascinated by that person's story, that individual yeah. story. And that, that need for storytelling, I think is one of the reasons why myself and both of my biological brothers are actors mm. um, is because our parents took us everywhere. And I think travel is one of the biggest things for a kid to be able to like get out of their comfort zone, even if travel means to the town over, you know what I mean? Because I'm not trying to sound privileged here and be like, everyone should take their children on a Everyone should go to London when they're in eighth grade. (laughs) No, I I understand that that's not feasible for a lot of people, whether it's like logistically, financially, what have you. Um, Or even I, you know, I watched a movie, I watched a Paul Rudd last night, movie last night about um, a kid who has muscular dystrophy, who can't like physically travel very easily. Um, But anyway, the point being that even just getting out of your comfort zone, getting out of the things that you see from day to day. And one of the things that, and I have had the privilege both as a child and as an adult to travel the lengths of this globe. Um, And something that really strikes me, especially, and you and I have talked about this, we both lived in South America, um, is when you go to a separate place and you kind of feel like, Like what happens to me when I land in a different city, especially a big city, this happened to me when I went to Delhi in India. It happens to me whenever I go to any city, mostly in far, farther away places as I go. There are so many people in this world. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I remember going to like South America for the first time and going like, oh, they, oh, they have skyscrapers here. Like what an idiot, right? Like, right. Of, co- of course they have skyscrapers. Why wouldn't there? I have a really funny story like about that. Bali and being like, yeah. oh, they have cars here. They're not riding like, horses still. Yeah, why wouldn't um, they have cars? You know what yeah. I mean. But there's just this this uh, ability to open up your mind, and and when I see that many people, I think a lot of people would get kind of anxious. But my my brain goes always to a couple places, and I've seen this uh-huh. because I've traveled so much. It's like. I, I do get it. I go, oh my God, there's so many people. Like, are there yeah. enough resources for us all? And then I go, oh my God, each one of these people has a story. Mm. And, and that to me, all of a sudden I get excited and I'm yeah. like, wow, what is their story? Yeah. I mean, we are walking collections of memories and energy and that's what a story is. It's, it's, it's translating that, those collections of memories to someone else so that it's tangible. They're like, oh, yeah, I totally feel what that's like to be in that. It's empathy. Like stories well, are yeah, sort of... Well, yeah, and that's what, that's what does help our mental health. That is what yeah. connects us. That is yes. what creates this. And even though internet, and we're going right back to it again, but yep. even though like social media, internet, whatever, like that, that is supposed to connect us. And in yes. many ways does, but what's the intention? Exactly. That's the thing. It's like the story has to be authentic. If it's not authentic, it doesn't connect. So if someone comes up to me and they're just like, well, here, I know you have a thought. Hold on. To that. Like if someone yeah. comes up to me and they're just like, they're just like, I'm awesome. And I, and I've talked about this a lot over on the show already. Like I'm awesome. I'm great. I've done all these things in my life. I'm like, that's great. That's awesome. But it doesn't bring me close to them. If someone comes up to me, right. like that person on the plane was like, I just went through a divorce or I just lost my, my, uh, you know, wife of 28 years. Boom. That is humanness. And so that yeah. trauma or that shared collective experience brings me closer to them. And then are, you know, I'm able to, to interweave into this wound that they have opened and said, come on inside. Like, it's probably not right. nice in here, but I'm allowing you in here. 
And when we don't, when we're closed off to that and we're just like legitimately acting in real life, it's hard to get past that shell and really connect with someone because they're just the, you know, I don't know the shell every time. Like they're just, you know, that might be super entertaining. There's no there there. Right. And I think we feel that intrinsically if we're tapped into what there there is. Yes. Um, and, and, and if you don't know it, you won't miss it. Honestly, like there are people out there and zero judgment on them. They're on their evolutionary journey and they're where they are. And, you know, they might find one of those people that you feel is a little anemic, like that may totally fill them up. And that's rad. Um, you know, my totally. teacher's teacher, my teacher's teacher's Vedic meditation teacher's teacher. Um, That's a lot said, of teachers. Like, as, yeah. Well, it was really only a but I was trying to find a better way to describe it. Um, yeah. <laughs> he, I went to India um, and went on a retreat with him and listened to a lot of his knowledge. And it was so interesting because as someone who comes from a pretty regimented home of like doing, like I have a lot of like masculine type A like get it done kind of energy. And I I would never say that it was pushed on me, but it was, it was modeled for me by both my parents. And, um, and, and it was seen as something that was, that could lead you to success. Um, that was an attribute, right. And it is an attribute, but there's also a balance. (laughs) Of course. Um, But, you know, as someone who often had a struggle and continues to struggle, I'm still talking about myself, uh, with right versus wrong, when you learn something like Vedic meditation, at least for me, and I've heard a lot of people ask this, like, why doesn't everybody do this? You know, yes. or you have a friend be like, oh, yeah, I meditate. Mm. And you're like, oh, what do you do? And they're like, I use this app. And like, yep. there's a part of people that goes like, well, that's not real. Right. right. And someone asked Tom, Tom Knowles, who lives in Flagstaff. We talked about this, yep. um, this question and knowledge one day where they were like, what do you do if your friend says they meditate? And But they're really like doing the bad meditation, not the good meditation like mm. this, you know. And Tom's answer, and I'm going to fully paraphrase, but yeah. was something to the effect of like, why is their meditation bad? They're meditating. That's awesome. Yes. Like we can't judge anyone else's evolution. No. You know, that's like it, it, props for them meditating. Who cares if yeah. they use an app, you know? Right. And I think it's all intention. Curiosity leads them to this type of meditation. Great. Then yep. we'll teach them, but, but they need to, they need to get there themselves, you yes. know? And, um, and the thought I had earlier when we were talking about like, uh, sort of the anemic people or the inauthenticity of social media or, or whatever it was, um, I also think that we haven't really taken into account, like how many stories we can hold at once mm-hmm. in our brains. Like yeah. we have, a, and I'm sure you've read and seen and heard of all the books that I've read and heard and seen of in terms of like our evolution as a people, cold therapy, um, lizard brain, you know, all of the nervous systems that we can and don't activate or should and won't and whatever, but we have not changed that much in the last, however many thousands of years since we became homo sapiens. And yet, especially in the last 50 years, our entire world has changed. Yes. And we don't technologically and neurologically what we are, what we're seeing what's being, what we're being, um, exposed to and what's being expected of us. Right. And there is a real disconnect. I think there's a real gap. What you were talking about, the, what were the two phrases? The deep self and the surface self. Yes. That gap is so large. Mm -hmm. Um, because I don't think we've really had enough time 
yes. to realize with all of this newness and ability to connect over, you know, state lines and the world and what have you over the waves, what can our brains actually healthfully take in and hold at the same time? You know, you may have yep. had a short list of four people in your life that you were sort of taking care of or keeping track of or were in your circle and they may have lived near you and been, they may have been your siblings or your parents or whatever, but now you have thousands. Right. And that's All, at like every second you have thousands and like you're scrolling and like new story, right. new story, new story. Right. Um, I think the game really changed when Instagram brought in live stories, like when it was at the, it's at the top instead of just the scroll, because Mm. You know, for a while there you could scroll, but you know, let's say you get through 30 or it, it's, it's quite a lot to keep going, but now it's just like every, and it was brilliant. Cause it's, it's, you know, a competition for attention and for attention span. That's like where marketing lies now. And it's like you know, at the top of your screen, you have, Oh, red circle. My so-and-so just posted a new story. It's, it's like, just, so it's what they're doing right now. Like on live, like insight into their life right now, you know? Right. And you know, you have that over and over again now through TikTok, through all these things. And it's, I think there is a, I, again, it's not the tool, it's how we're using it. It's our relationship with mm-hmm. it and it's our intention. Yeah. And uh, I think it, it perpetuates mindlessness if we don't check ourselves in awareness, you know? And again, you, you brought up like, oh, like, how do you, you know, go about what's too much or what's good or bad for a certain person? And I think I agree with that. I also, I also think there's, there's sort of a healthy relationship with everything we do, you know? And I think that like you can get addicted to most things and some things are probably more healthy to be addicted to, but I think we should be striving for some sort of balance in a lot of ways in life. And, you know, I've noticed myself when I'm just spending a ton of time on social media, I'm like, did I really get anything out of that two hours I just spent scrolling? Like, do I remember even some of the stories I was watching yeah well what's even more important or at least to me as i've reflected on this same stuff and you know i watched the social dilemma which i think was an interesting documentary to come out in the middle of a global pandemic right where i think people were really leaning into their technology more because they didn't have the ability to -to face-to-face as much um that uh it's just the, the bigger question then did i get anything out of that um, cause that's still, I think it's an important question, but it's still product based. It's still end of the journey based. Like, what did I get? Which is important, like nutrients, right? What mental mm. nutrients did I get or whatever? But how do I feel? Yeah. How do I feel after spending two hours on Instagram? Yeah. You know, don't you think that's related to what you got though? Cause I feel like if you eat a bunch of sugary donuts, like how you feel is sort of related to what you got. You got 12 donuts. Yeah, I guess and like you feel what like you shit. got to me, and maybe I'm being super hyper aware of like yeah. my own need to produce and um, yes. and be successful or whatever. Right, like, yeah. There, there is a lack of supporting like rest, you okay. know, like, yeah. like my progress is what is defines my worth versus like I'm worthy because I am. Um, mm. And... And how I feel will indicate like how I project and how I show up for the world and the people I right. love and myself, et cetera. So I think it is sort of the same thing. It's just a yeah. little tweak on like, yeah. yeah, what I got out of it versus like, how does this, how does this feel? Um, and that's where it all begins for me, at least it's like, yeah. if you're not feeling good and not that you're supposed to feel good all the time either, but right. um, the majority of the time. 
Yeah, I agree. And there's also the thing that comes to mind is like our, our perception of our own subjective realities. It's like, if you're just doing things that make you feel good, I get that. But sometimes we can be not great people and that makes us feel good. Like if we're super selfish, sometimes that can make you feel good, you know? Ooh, this but, is fascinating. What would you yeah, say yeah, yeah. is super selfish? Okay. So th- there's, there's a difference in my mind between selfishness and self-love, right? Great. Self-love promotes a person's internal growth, internal health, external health, and that directly benefits everyone around you too, not just mm-hmm. yourself. Selfishness mm-hmm. only benefits yourself. It doesn't benefit anyone else you walk in, you know? So let's say, you know, I, I mean, there's so many examples I could go into, but I think like the thing that comes to mind, I, I talked about this in a previous episode is, um, Oriah's prose, uh, Oriah the mountain dreamer. She wrote this prose called, uh, the invitation. And, yeah. uh, yeah. Have we, have we talked about that? You read yeah, it, right? We talked about it okay. on the phone. Mm-hmm. That's Lots right. Time, okay. Yeah. So I was talking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And so she talks about like that subjective reality. She's like, you know, you wouldn't look at the sky and just see like two suns and be like, okay, yeah, there's two suns. Yep. Hey mm-hmm. there, guys, there's two suns, you know, it's out it's out there. It's, it's, it's law. And you would go, go ask people, you'd be like, Hey, you know, do you see two sons? And they would say, no, I don't see two sons. And you'd be like, okay. So then I guess my, my, I'm going with my eyes checked out or whatever. But this is when you only surround yourselves with people that are agreeable with you. And I like, right. this relates back. I wrote this down. It was like, you said, um, sort of, you know, the, the interesting thing when you went to South America was that you're like, Oh, there's skyscrapers here. And it's because we're so indoctrinated into what we know that it's so essential as humans to step out again, not to use this term, but like of your comfort zone mm-hmm. as much as you can based on your own privilege and your own means. Right. Um, and to connect with people that aren't your same political values, or mm-hmm. you know, I, I always find it interesting when I watch Ted talks of like people that will go into like KKK groups and like this guy, this guy has a, a famous Ted talk. He's this black man. And he talks about how he's um, made friends with a lot of KKK members. And a lot of them have like changed their beliefs. And mm-hmm. that, that to me is like so incredible because that's like at the very end of the spectrum. Right. But it's essential as humans to do that because we, there's no other way to check ourselves, you know, it's like, and we have to go into that as open as possible. Um, and so that's why like, you know, my, I guess my, I don't have a firm definition of like the difference between like selfishness and self-love, but I do think they're different. You know, I think that we can see how they proliferate differently, you know, because people are like, well, I'm just practicing self-love. I'm like, no, you're not, you're being an asshole. Right. Like you're being an asshole and you're, and you're not thinking of others, you know? Um, but there are times that, you know, someone is completely practicing self-love, you know, like saying no, or, you know, respecting boundaries. But, and again, it goes back to the difference between a boundary and a wall. It's like, we love no, to use the word boundary. And, and the, 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 the stew that all of that swims in is communication. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Dropping off yeah. the face of the earth when you have previous engagements or people are depending on you yeah. is not self-love. Yeah. That's actually just being uncommunicative and unkind and unprofessional or whatever. Like, you know, it's totally okay to say like, I know we have this plan. I know this was the thing I need, I need to make this change. And I hope you can understand, you know, my apologies for whatever, but like Mm. the thing we miss is the communication about it. And we get so defensive um, about like, about taking that time for ourselves or, you know, and it's, it's, it is, it's just a psychological, like, and you can tell <laughs> yeah. it is because you can tell if it's, if it's authentic, because if you get defensive, it's sort of, you're making that decision. Let's say it's self decision because it's out of fear. You're protecting yourself from something, right? Mm. If it's self love, it's actually legitimately out of love because you're, you're right. practicing self love. And then you're able to go back and give it to others. Cause we, I mean, we have to give to others too. That's like part of being human. You know, you can't just yeah. only love yourself. Good luck at the end of the road, you know? Right. Um, but it's, it's really, I think that's how we, that's how I kind of gauge. It's like, 
the difference between being self-centered or selfish versus self-loving is self-love is, is based in real love, like in real love of self and real love of others, where selfishness right. is based in fear and putting up a wall, not a boundary and, you know, like closing instead of opening. God, and, this is uh, fascinating. I was just reading that chapter in the book that we spoke about attachment. Uh-huh. Um, and I was reading that chapter about the avoidant and yep. they related it to, and I, I often relate to this film, um, to into the wild. I mean, this book, the book yeah. and then the film, but you know, I think a lot of people have seen the film and the film right. I thought was great. And I also yeah. liked that Eddie Vedder wrote all the music for it. Um, that's a damn good soundtrack, dude. Side note and amazing yeah. soundtrack. Um, yeah. but sort of this idea that we, that there is no, uh, we are a social species. Um, and that, that avoidant behavior is not self-love. Um, you know, again, case by case, but I also yeah. think that there's, um, that, that, yeah, man, oh man, it's so layered. That ability to, when you told your friend you were going to meet them at the movies, you met them at the movies. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Or you yes. gave them enough time so you could call their house phone before they left to let them know that something was up, mm. you know? But like, and it's also the unknown, like, say you go to the movies and your friend's supposed to meet you there and they don't show up. Like you might wait for half an hour and like, see, and then you kind of have to leave without, without knowing what happened. Yeah. And we just don't even know what that is anymore. Like it's always, and and that text, I think we all are aware of like, are we still on for today? You just today understand. I did that to you. Five minutes late trying to. No, I just want to make sure because sometimes it's hard to get on this thing. So it wasn't as well. It wasn't like me like tapping my shoe. I was like, no, cool. I could, you know, we could reschedule. No, no, you're so sweet. But even your ability, and 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 that's rad that you like. You're like, yeah. If it's not if it's not cool today, that's cool. But like my brain goes like, oh my god, I would never spring that on you four minutes after we were supposed to meet. Like that doesn't even. Yeah. That doesn't even come to me. And. And this, this just goes further to solidify this idea that like technology and what kids and teens and preteens and, and youngins, youngins, anyone under 25 um, is experiencing these days um, is just not the connectivity. And I, mm. I don't know how to simulate that for them. I don't know how to tell them what it's like to go to a card catalog in a library. I don't know how to do yeah. that. Um, I think the trauma is going to teach us again. I think it just has to go with, you know, the pain has to teach us like you touch fire. It's yeah. hot. Ouch. I'm not going to touch that stove again. And I think yeah. the dis- like the younger generation, including our generation, because we're both millennials are realizing that you're like even way the- more an official millennial than I am, by the way, but continue. I'm 31. How old are you? Yeah, I'm 38. Oh, okay. That's the, that's your, you're a millennial. You're a millennial. Yeah. Only by four you, months. The iPhone grew up with you. Or iPod. Um, no, okay. dude, I did not. Cool. Dude, I'm an eighties baby. So I'm proud of that. I own that shit. Even though I'm the last year of the eighties, I, I have mad okay. respect for the eighties, okay, you know, okay, okay, a okay. lot of good music came out. Anywho, anyway. Okay. Yeah. So I guess what I was saying is that, you know, we don't really, you know, we don't really act until it, it really is painful. Unfortunately, even though we do have foresight. And so I think a lot of, as we see, again, these mental health things increase like anxiety, depression, now suicide rates are all the way down to like nine and 10 years old. I talked to this, I talked to my buddy Matt about this um, in the first episode of this show. And when we were younger, it was like in the teens, it was like 15, 14, you know? And that's a huge jump downward. And it really is. I mean, there's like cyberbullying. You're never, you can never like detach from being judged now or being like, you know, talk to you. And I think 
now people are becoming more aware of it. And I think it's going to bring us back to this. Hopefully I'm hopeful to this, like learning, you know, because we, we have, like I'm peeing, but I'm not, I'm just, I'm putting water into a glass. I just had, it's to a do huge that. water jug, by the way, I you just, can't see this on the, with your ears, but that that's like there. the milkman dropped off water at your I house. I really, really like to undercut whenever we're talking about suicide. Yeah, I just want to make was, weird pee noises. That was like um, shipped apologies. from, from, from the French Alps. They just sent it to you. <laughs> Um, no, it's uh, it's just high alkaline water from Whole Foods. But continue. I'm, I apologize that I could have timed that better, but we it's found all good. A joke in it. No, this is a this found is a, a this is a conversation. This podcast is completely live. So if you got to pour water it. or just yeah. you know your dog's barking, yeah. it's gonna stay. It's just gonna um, stay. Um, yeah. But what you were saying is that suicide rates are hitting a much younger generation, right. or a much and younger I, age. Yeah, and I bring that up just because I think like you know, especially during the pandemic you know, kids not going to school, not being able to interact physically, like a bunch of stuff came up. You know, I I remember watching this NBC piece on this 10 year old who had no signs of depression and he, uh, ended up up dying by suicide. And his parents were like, they were like distraught. They're like, we, he's never said anything, you know? And they're like, it seemed like they had a great relationship with him. But I think it's because like, we're realizing again that we do need each other, like in authentic physical interaction and right. the screen is never going to be a substitute for that. You know, no. like no, watching won't. someone get their heart broken on a movie is never going to teach you the lessons that getting your heart broken in real life is. You can kind of understand it a little bit if it's a really good film. Or but even holding you, your friend with, when their heart's broken. Right. Exactly. It does not have to be a first person experience, but a human yes. experience. You know, when yes. we're even witnessing it happen, even witnessing. Oh, man, I remember growing up in downtown Chicago and seeing people like have fights or like, or like have, have these emotional moments on the bus or like in public in the park. I mean, this should happen in New York all the time too. When I lived Mm. there, like on like ultra because there's just so many people in such a small space, but that's even a more human experience than watching something on, um, on television. And I, you know, yeah, you're no, it's never going to be the same. Um, and the number of kids that have drowned since iPhones became a thing because parents are just not watching them. It's terrifying. Wow. I didn't, I've never thought about that. Yeah. I read something. And this was a while ago. I read this, this statistic that like that number just catapulted when we Holy all of a sudden had phones and you know, they're trying to link like ADD and all these things and autism to like, Everyone wants an answer, right? Look, I'm not a doctor. I I don't, I I don't read these. I'm sure that there's a lot of stuff out there that would prove a lot of things. And I can't wait to listen to that podcast of someone who's, who's educated in that way. But Mm. I will say that whether you want to call it ADD or autism or just acting out, and I don't think that those are the same thing. I'm going to keep qualifying myself so no one can get mad at me, but people, kids and people need attention. Yes. And there's just not a lot of attention when we are constantly being sucked into, you know, those little red circles that tell us that yeah. somebody. It's a finite, a it's a finite commodity. You know, it's just like, yeah, you only have so much attention in, you know, the 16 hours you're awake in a day to give away before your brain yeah. just sort of absorbs into. It's really you know, great that you're sleeping eight hours a night. I'm really proud of you. <laughs> I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, it's not every night. I'm, I'm a huge person on sleep. I actually have a sleep scientist coming on the show in two weeks from whoop. They're like the company that makes like the bracelets that track sleep. She's their head yeah. um, researcher. And we're going to chat about 
not just in athletics, but emotional health, you know, marital health as it relates to sleep. Yeah. No, that's interesting. Ben, Ben just sent me a, a podcast about sleep too. I'm sure that there's a crossover of people on oh, yeah. that, but, um, because we have a Saturday run club in Santa Fe when I am home and our buddy Reese, who's like way too smart for his own good, always shows up to our Saturday runs and has like a new podcast about something. He runs a company, um, that, uh, <clears throat> that basically like moves water. They're called rain catcher. And, and okay. he studies how water moves, how to trap water, how to use water, how basically to get off of a city's water system, even okay. in the desert, um, which yeah. is really, really rad. But he's just, he's one, he has one of those brains that never stops. And, um, and sleep is one of the most important things uh, for our body. It's fa- I can't wait to listen to that podcast. Oh, it's, too, it's I the, think- I mean, people talk about doping, taking steroids in sports or HGH. I yeah. mean, sleep is the, is the best drug you could ever take. If you can nail your sleep right. and your stress levels, how they relate to sleep. I mean, you could be the best, whatever you want to be, you know? And I, and I know that myself, like I'm a person that's super susceptible. Like if I don't get deep, good sleep, like if I drink too mm-hmm. much caffeine or if I'm really stressed and I, and I can't like, sort of meditate or widen down before bed and sleep well the next day i'm just not as cerebrally sharp i'm not as um malleable for emotions you know i notice i'm just i'm just not as uh present either you know sleep is huge dude no and they say that even even losing like two hours which you would think is like "Eh, six hours it's almost eight right like even losing that um it just will fuck you up Oh yeah. Like and, yeah. and the amount that like the percentage of your brain function yeah. goes down so quickly. Yes. Yeah. And people talk about having a sleep bank. They're like, Oh, I'll sleep five hours tonight. and I'll just make it make up for it on the weekend. Sleep 10. It doesn't work like that. Like no. it really is sort of, um, it's more of a patterned thing than it is sort of like right. a one at a time. It's like, you know, going to bed, like the best thing you give your sleep and this is in research. So this like legitimately has been covered all over the place is go to bed at the same time and try to wake up at the same time, you know? And of course you're going to have days that are a little different, but, within like a 30 minute window on both ends, that's really the healthiest thing you can do for your sleep. Pattern, wow. You know? Um, and uh, this is like one of the things I want to talk about. God, we are, we are on the tangent bus today, but I know it's interesting. Like, I actually was just thinking that um, maybe we should just like do this once a month and I'll be like a recurring person. And we'll just, I would like, love to have you on once a month. I mean, I, I don't think most people that come on have like a, we're talking about a specific thing, right? But you are just, you're on and you're just like, bam here's like this <laughs> this experience from all over the place from chicago to la to santa fe to charleston we are out here to bolivia i mean well, yeah. the other thing too nico is like you didn't i'm correct me if i'm wrong but there's nothing about me that you were like i'm fascinated about this one part of your life like when you know it's me the whole this, story we haven't even like, talked about your entire story I know. I was like, is this yeah. going to be about acting or like, what? Well, yeah. that's usually what it is. Right. I love and, how you asked me that too. I was like, I was like, no, this, this we'll talk <laughs> about that obviously because you're a, uh, you know, you, that's what you do for a living Yeah, and yeah. you're well known for it and you're really, very good at it. But it's Thank like, you. that's not why I'm, I'm having you on here. Like this is a, this is a conversation about depth and about not that that's not part of your life, but it no, most no, certainly no. doesn't, doesn't describe yeah, so, 90% so. of the stuff that is you, you know? <laughs> so you can just, you can just say that this is like the, uh, the unlimited series and, uh, and you just coffee hey. with Cassidy or whatever. If you, I or love large, that. If you, large bottles of water with Cassidy. Yeah. Um, what, what is it when the like ASMR, you know, when people are like touching the microphone, have you heard, have you heard about that? It's like, no. no okay. I, it's like something that people do on, on Twitch or streams and they're like touch the microphone in a way that like makes, you know, I don't know some weird thing. But anyways, <laughs> I was talking about the water. Could be you like, you know, I don't know, man. It might be, it might even be actually bef- like uh, the generation. What's the generation after us? 
Generation Z? I have no idea. Z? There was this thing that said that there was a sweet spot, this pocket of kids that were born like 77 to 84. And that pocket is a weird transitional generation. Are you calling yourself the only a sweet spotter? Is that what you're assigning to basically yourself? Basically what I'm saying is that I'm very special. No, wow. we're a weird, we don't know where to go. And we're, we yeah. kind of don't know where we fit because we're definitely yeah. not Gen Not X. boomers. Yeah. We're not boomers. We're not Gen X. That's my eldest brother. We're yeah. not, um, and yet we're also like, technically I'm a millennial. It was 1982, yeah. I think was supposed to be. And yeah, I'm you're April. a millennial. You're just an older millennial with a little more wisdom. Oh, well, I wouldn't, I would say, um, ignorance. But yeah, well, yeah, but you, you just, you know, thing. like, like you sort of were before, you know, like, like you were old enough when the iPod came out to be, you know, almost an adult, right? Like, like, like right. how old were you? I, Cause I think I was like, I was 10 when the iPod came out. So you were 17. Really? Yeah, I think so. God, it came out I remember Steve Jobs ago. standing on that thing and he like iMac or whatever came out. And he's like, this is going to change the world. And I'm like, that's going to kill us all. That's what I thought. When I, I was also 10. remember when the iPad came out and everyone thought that that sounded like a sanitary napkin. And <laughs> I was like, I got that joke. Like I was old yeah. enough to be like, Just, these youngsters, what are they, what are they trying to make? Like, <laughs> like a, oh something for a menstrual cycle. Um, oh boy. Anyhow, we digress, but I think, I think, yeah, I think if you, if you want, we could, um, we could just make this a, an ongoing conversation. I would love and to. Then, I have more than enough time. Plus I feel like I never knew the schedule of someone that's on set filming the show. And now that I realize that you do have a good amount of free time, because I thought you were just like on all the time and they were just trying to fit it all within. So if you have time, let's rock it. Yeah. I wish that were the case, but it's not, yeah. it's not, you know, after over a decade of doing this, I'm learning it's never really the deal unless the show is about you. Um, um you know, like on yeah. Longmire, the dude who played my dad, who played Walt Longmire, he worked a lot. He didn't have a lot of days off. Um, oh. but when you play his like daughter, you know, maybe, maybe two days a week and maybe there's an episode where you're in a lot. And so then you'll work a lot. Um, yeah. But that's not even a guarantee because they don't always shoot in order. Um, Very true. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I yeah. think we're shooting like next week. I think three different episodes are going to be shooting at the wow. same time, which is difficult to keep your brain around. Yeah. But, I want to ask questions about that. Although I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but I have so many questions on like, how do you even prepare for all those different scenes that involve different sort of. And how keep that in the, in the mind, you know, I, I guess it's learning like a song set, learning like a, you know, like, like having, like being on tour and knowing like, you know, 20 songs for the set, you know, they're interchangeable. Sure, but as you know, probably from being a musician and someone that understands that, like, it's not so much a song set as much as it's a song, right? Yes. So what if someone was like, start at the bridge and you're yeah, like, oh, wait, 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 wait start off three. Yeah. Or yeah. just like, we're going to play this like, you know, a couple <laughs> octaves higher today, or we're going to, you know. Or right. adding whatever, you know? Yeah. yeah, transpose up like a like a step and a half. And you're like, yeah. uh, hold on, I need to know. I need to like take a minute. And that's really yeah. all it is. Like you're just yeah. taking a minute to sort of go. The only, yeah. I totally understand why, um, why things film out of order for a number of reasons. Sure. Uh, people's yeah. schedules, locations, you know, Weather, whatever. Sure Weather, too, right? yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. right. But the ideal is to shoot in order. If only because... Unless you've done it, you don't yeah. really know how it went. 
right? Yes. Maybe something magical happened in the moment in episode two that would inform the scene you're currently doing from episode four. Exactly. But you haven't done to yet. So like you kind of don't know yeah. if that happened. And maybe there's space yeah. to reshoot or add, but oftentimes there's not. And so, well, yeah. If you think about how we live stories, we live from start to finish. So like right. when you're filming a story, Mm -hmm. it's more organic if you film start to finish because the people that are acting in the story that are the story makers, right? Mm -hmm. They're able to build off of the experience because you are having the experience. You're acting, you're saying the words, you know, you're, Mm -hmm. so you you can, you know, check out, but you still, you check back in. You're like, Oh, back to the emotion I was in yesterday. And this is where, as opposed to if you film from the middle, go back to the beginning and then to the end, you really don't know where you are in space. There's like, you're kind of, you know, like, oh, shit. Well, that's like, also the part. Yeah. And that also goes to like what we were talking about before. Like, I have to show up somehow some elements of neutral to me. Yeah. Because like, I have to be able to think about who would where would this character be on this day and why? And it's undeniable that wherever I am in my real life is going to influence that from day to day. But the more that I can sort of. Like, for example, and I started in theater, I started in dance when I was a little kid, and, but I've always been on the stage. And the, at every theater conservatory I've done, which I've done multiple, because again, type A, like, go get them, childhood. Mm, yeah. um, I had one called the Cherubs Program at Northwestern, um, which is incredible. It's sort of like going to um, conservatory before college. Um, and it's a summer program, and it's at Northwestern University in Evanston, Illinois, right outside Chicago. And they have, they have different ones for, um, they have one for like journalism and music and acting and dancing. And so I went to the acting one and you have to audition and you have to do all these things. But something that they always said is like, you cannot show up to class with any logos on your shirt and please don't wear bright pink. And, you know, like basically they're asking you to almost dress neutrally, show up neutral yeah, so that you can be creative into what you're right. doing because it's outside L- of yourself. Yeah. Like it show up as an Amazon box without the Amazon label and you don't know what's inside the box. Right. Yeah. But I love that you had, you had to say Amazon box. Like, you, yeah. well, you to be fair, <laughs> Amazon like is running the world right now. Um, Dude, like, I mean, this is a whole other issue. There. Yeah, totally. Oh, we don't want to talk about that. Um, but yeah, that's really interesting that it's sort of like be as neutral or as like enigmatic as possible. Because you're stepping in, you're like, you know, you can't really step in if you're already inside something. Right. So it's just like, you know, uh, yeah, I don't, it's it's very interesting. Yeah, no, so, so it is, it is, it is difficult. And I think, um, I think honestly, the only thing that truly suffers when you have to film out, out of order like that, um, is the show, you know, that, that is a price that you have to pay for understanding that you can't shoot every scene from moment to moment to moment, you know, something that I love about theater and I miss from not having been on stage for a long time is, um, this feeling that when you start a play, the train, bringing it back to trains, which is going to keep, we'll just call these the full circle conversations. Um, when you start a play, the train leaves the station and it's not stopping till, till it reaches its destination, you know, mm-hmm. unless God forbid there's like an earthquake or the power goes out or, you know, something actually logistically stops the play. But yeah. as long as everything stays on track, like you, you have to improvise in the moment and it's always going to be a beginning, middle and an end. And um, one could say this for films as well. Like I've been mm. working in television specifically yeah. for most of my on-screen career. 
And it is hard sometimes because you don't always know where you're going. Um, you just really have to be in the moment. So as like a full story, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know what my character is going to do next season because it hasn't been written right. yet. Like there's right. no end to that. Um, whereas like in a, in a, in a play or a film, you know, you know, the end, and then it's easier to shoot out of order. Like I shot, do you know the purge movies? You probably don't even know that I was in the last purge movie. <laughs> it's no. really, you don't know these films. I live under a rock in a mountain town, but I, I should watch it. Probably. No, I don't know. I don't know if you should watch it. I'll, okay. I'll give you a short version. The purge okay. series is a, is, a, is a series of horror films that I guess like to date are the highest grossing horror films. You're um, in those? I'm only in the last one. They're all different. They're not sick. Like they don't involve the same characters. I think before you tell that story, I just want to say I'm not a horror film guy. Like I, I strictly don't believe I should pay someone to scare the shit out of me. Like (laughs) it just, it just feels weird. You know, it's, it's like going to someone and paying them to punch you in the face. Like, I just don't want to feel bad. Like I, I, when, when Jurassic Park came on, I would put my head under a pillow when I was a kid, you know, like I was a brave little toaster guy. Um, like that was my comfort level. Right. Oh my God. All respect to the people out there. Yeah, no, yeah. my mom buried her face on my brother's shoulder through all yeah. of Jurassic Park. So I love that you commented on that. I'm not a huge horror buff either. Um, you know, I think all genres have their place, but like, yes. uh, there, there is, what's interesting about this is it's not like, um, it's, it's, uh, I guess there's a lot of different genres of horror, but the idea yes. is that there's one night a year that they call the purge, um, uh. where there's no law. Basically, like you can kill anyone, you can rob anything. Oh, so, like the like, U.S. right now. Yeah. Basically. Nice. Well, what's fascinating is that we filmed this movie in the fall of 2019, and it's a little strange. Uh, and it's it's it, this particular one is um, I can't tell you. I can't tell you what it's about. That one I did sign an NDA. Um, but it's it's just it's it's very apropos of what's going on. So it will be fascinating when that it's does very Anran esque. Interesting. Yeah. Um, um, but wow. it, it's, th- there's four of them out. This will be the fifth of the purge okay. series. And I didn't even know it was such a thing. Yeah. Um, but I, but I guess it is. So, so I feel like, and you're right. There is a lot of horror, like thrillers. I love thrillers. I love like suspenseful movies. I'm very much that if there's a storyline, when I think about horror, I think of like no storyline and I'm just getting the shit scared out of me. And there's just like face on screen screaming, you know, and it's black. And I'm like, dude. Like I paid to get into this shit. Like I'm, I feel bad about right. myself now. My popcorn's yeah. all over the floor. Like I peed myself and I'm going to go home yeah. and, and cry. Um, yeah. you know, like that, <laughs> I'm being dramatic, but it's like that, uh, I know some people love that shit. <laughs> I just can't yeah. do it. Dude. No. And some, some horror films are really psychological. Like, yeah. like Pet Cemetery is, is a really fascinating story and yeah. terrifying mm-hmm. to me. Um, yeah. you know, it is terrifying to me um but yeah i I agree i think some people are really drawn to that and some people aren't so i get it but the whole point of that was that when you shot that film we had to shoot out of order as well but that's easier Mm. because you know what you know what the end is and yes enough about acting (laughs) we're just way it's naturally sort of going that way which is totally fine because you just brought up that and i'm like oh i just thought of like my favorite suspenseful thing that i recently saw on netflix a couple years ago but oh man you um, recently saw a couple years ago. 
Yeah, that's kind of that's like always kind of a dumb thing to say. Huh? It wasn't. I shouldn't say like I recently established that it was my favorite suspenseful uh, in a series. I know, dude. I don't watch. Okay, here's my thing with Netflix. Like when I'm in a relationship, Netflix is my jam. Right? It's I share it intimately with like my partner, and so my my ex partner and I we we watch we watch a ton of Netflix, especially during quarantine when it started. And yeah. um, but then when you go through a separation, you go through heartbreak. For me, I sort of like don't it's weird for me to sit in front of a TV by myself and watch like a Netflix show. I just, I just can't do it. It's just my, I can't, I can't agree with you more. And and I'm experiencing this, not even through a breakup because my dude and I are still going strong. It's literally just being by myself. That's what I mean though. Yeah. Cause like, like if I were to travel and we were still together, like let's say I would be in Europe for a race or vice versa. Like I wouldn't like watch Netflix on my downtime. I would just go outside and walk around or do something else because I, it's just weird. Like that's like, it's sort of a partner thing for me. You know, even if it's a friend, you kind of do it again in community, you know? Right. Um, right. You can sort of bounce each other off and be like, you scared shitless too. Okay. Yeah. Cool. All right. Yeah. Good. My um, brother and I were just talking about this last night because he was on that show Narcos and so mm-hmm. he would have to travel to Mexico. Great. Great fucking show, by the way. Yeah. Everyone knows that. Yeah. Yeah. Hello. So he was on the last two seasons of Narcos and he um, has a really awesome, not awesome DEA agent. Um, And he would go to Mexico City and he was like, oh, yeah, it was my time to like really catch up. Now he has two young kids. So I think there's a lot Mm. of stuff that he doesn't have time to watch that isn't like friendly for them. Yeah. But um like yeah, how many versions of Up can you watch, basically? And then you're... Yeah, I love that movie. Amazing movie. Yeah, I would watch, watch it that. 35 times, though. I know. Yeah. I just watched, I rewatched Aladdin with my stepdaughter the other day, and it was like, and she's 14. She's not, yeah, yeah. we were kind of watching it for like posterity or like, remember yeah. this movie? And, yeah. uh, and I said, we sat down to watch it, and I was like, God, I haven't seen this probably in like 20 years. And I knew every word. Oh yeah. Which was terrifying. Um, just goes to show how, how much of a sponge we are when we're younger. Right. Right. Yeah. You don't even realize it. No, I knew and I, we, I was singing songs that I didn't even realize I knew the words to. If someone had asked me, do you remember the words to that song? I would be like, no. Yeah. And I did. Anyway, we can do it. We can do it in the Latin. Uh, so funny story about Narcos is, um, I went to San Diego state for undergrad and, uh, I, well, I was going to, I got into a bunch of different schools for, for sports and I had to decide when I was an 18 year old where I wanted to go. And I really wanted to learn how to surf. I really wanted to live on the beach. I've always been like, I'd been to San Diego before. I loved it. And, um, for three weeks before I was supposed to move into the dorms, this, uh, the CNN posts this thing on like San Diego state, biggest drug bust in collegiate history. And there were like four frats. I don't even know why I'm telling this story, but it's sort of relevant. There were four fraternities <laughs> that were like in bed with the Mexican drug cartel and were like selling a bunch of drugs like uh, heroin, cocaine. And they had like, I mean, they had like pounds and gallons of this shit. They had like fully automatic weapons. All, and you can Google this. I mean, this is legit. Biggest drug bust in the history of any college you can in the Google US. This. It's legit. They, they shut down like. All of these frats got kicked out. It was a dry campus for the first two years, two years I was wow. there. And San Diego State is known to be a party school, right? And um, when Narcos came out, I was like, oh, these are like, this is like the same shit that was going on in my school before I got there. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's, uh, yeah, it's just, I don't know. I don't even know why I brought that up. But it No, just, what's fascinating uh, about Narcos and when they made that show, and <clears throat> I agree, the original Narcos and then Narcos Mexico, that's the one my brother was in. Um, yeah. These people are still alive, a lot of them. Do you know what I mean? Like, this is and not an old story. 
No. And there's celebrities in a lot of respect in certain yeah. areas, you know, that's right. Which is crazy because <laughs> they're like living they're sort of like a lot of times like you know when you think about the mob films that came out a lot of times those those guys and people were dead you know when those films were made but mm-hmm. but now it's like we're we're making films and stories based on people that are still alive that are still doing shit that's not great um and they're just you like know, oh shit i'm getting famous for this like that brings sweet. up a question too like i so and i, I don't want to dwell too long because i know it's a sad thing but um yeah that michael jackson documentary was challenging to watch yeah and yeah the things that were shared in it were really challenging and you have some people who um don't think that it's moral to enjoy his art anymore his music anymore because of what they've learned about him and yet i weirdly i was asking i saw someone post something about him and it's someone that i really uh, or not even about him. It was someone who posted a kid doing like a performance of a Michael Jackson song. Right, right. Right. And I kind of weirdly looked at the comments just to be like, God, is anyone commenting on the fact that it's a Michael Jackson song or, and no one did. Yeah. And then I realized that Michael Jackson had an Instagram, which I don't know who that's run by at this point, because Michael Jackson is no longer on this earth. Supposedly he might be hanging out with Tupac, but the point yeah. is like, I, I, it's amazing how much support he still gets, how, how little effect, at least publicly, right. that knowledge and that documentary had on how people see him. And maybe people who don't like him or don't support him anymore don't follow him on Instagram and aren't sharing yeah. hate, in which case I right. actually think that's a better choice than sharing hate. But <laughs> I just found that kind of fascinating. I think for the things, and that's a really interesting thing to bring up. I think for the things that he did, and this happens a lot, even if you look at like the cartel down in Mexico, right? Like the, the trauma that an individual has to experience to do certain things or act in certain ways. Like, I think we can still hold compassion for what they've, because they didn't choose that mm. as they were children. Right. But also hold them accountable for what they did do as adults. Right. right. Um, and for me, like being a musician, dude, there's never going to be a time in history when I don't love Michael Jackson's music. Like, I completely see everything that he's, you know, been accused of and the things that he, you know, was, was involved in. And, but I, I'll still turn on his music and be like, dude, this is just like the shit, man. Like, you know, and, and no, but yeah, I, you can't I'm not, dance. no, and I'm not, I kind of find the guy, like, I know he had some deep fucking dark shadows, man. And then when I look at how he was yeah. raised with his dad and like the abuse that way, and then, you know, that's, and he's, he's, he's famous. So he's like, iconified for this, but that exists all in a lot of us, not to that extent, but like, you know, I think I can, I can still appreciate his art, but see his humanness and see like the unhealthy things that he did, you know, and the lives yeah. that he changed in a negative way too. I understand. Too. And I wonder to a certain degree if that's easier to do in this particular case, because he's dead. And I only say that because if we I think so. that someone, yeah. Right. Like if someone had, or was continuing to yeah. act in such an immoral way and they yep. were still making money off of our supporting of their art. Yep. But isn't that weird that money is the thing? Like, Oh yeah. Well, but you know, that's I, what brings up like the cartel. It's like the cartel, they're not an, they're not an art form. You know, the only art there is like the business they're conducting to make a bunch of money, you know, right. into, into, you know, it sort of just operates like a government. Um, right. But it's, uh, it's interesting that like, you know, they're, sort of, I mean, they've, they've, they've been in other films too, but Narcos, like, it's such a good, it's so good, you know, and you watch it and you iconify, you know, Pablo and these other people. And you're just like, oh man, like, these are like, 
you know, it's just, it just blows these characters so up and you're like, no, these, these dudes did some fucked up shit, man. Right. You know, like, and they had some fucked up childhoods and coming from that sort of, you know, Hispanic culture in the body of Tucson, like I saw a lot of that sort of weave into how, you know, this shit I grew up in too. Um, you know, it's just, it's interesting. Cause like the, those kids that were like, you know, gang banging where I grew up, like a lot of them are iconified. Like there's not, maybe there'll be a Netflix film about them eventually, but you know, but like looking at Colombia or Mexico, how that shit blew up and how now in Hollywood, it's like, I mean, cause you cannot watch that and not like feel sort of sad for the anti-hero at some point or feel sort of sad for like when Pablo gets caught on that rooftop, you know, or gets killed yeah, on rooftop. No, like, no, he's so likable. Well, doing that, awful things. Totally. <laughs> well, like literally cutting people's limbs off. And this is real shit. Yeah. This is not no, fake. This is like, this happened in real life, right? But then when you watch the show, it's happening, right? And when you watch the show, you're like, oh man, I kind of feel like he evaded this for two seasons, you know, or like four seasons. Like, how is this possible? Like we lost the, yeah. the sort of, you know, antagonist. But then, you know, it's like, that's again, it's just about awareness. It's like, yo, th- this is an art. This is art. You know, this is like, mm-hmm. but if this is shit's happening in real life, this is not okay. It is mm-hmm. happening in real life. And they should wa- raise awareness as opposed to making us numb to reality. Yeah. You know, but yeah. it does that sometimes. Yeah. That's, it's just a good question. Like, how do we love people? Oof, gosh, dang. How do we love people that have done bad things? Because <sighs> haven't we all? right and i mean to yeah there's gradients for sure but we've all for sure yeah there are i mean I, pema shodra comes up to mind and she's kind of answered this question she was on um dan harris's podcast the 10% happier and yeah and she was like i think he asked her about something like that and you know i think it's like you can just do both you can hold compassion and space for what someone's been through you know even even someone that's been a serial killer and and still realize that like it's at some level there is still a portion of humanness to them you know mm-hmm. um and uh you know you, you can have compassion for people but also still hold them accountable for what they've done you know and i don't it's a that's a hard thing to talk about it's interesting because then you, like you think about the, the thing of incarceration like, and putting right. someone into a cell for the rest of their lives that's you know exactly and i'm just like you go into the death penalty you go into like how like how many people does someone have to murder to go on the death penalty or right. is the death penalty immoral to begin with you know like I, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's hard. It's, it is hard. Um, <sighs> and how do you manage whatever the person who's um, feeling the things they're feeling because of what this person did, whether it was murder or, right. you know, it's just, it's can complicate it. I think the more empathy we can build in society, the easier the answers to those questions are going to be. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And I do think yeah. that, um, I mean, we've seen this from books that have been written and things, you know, psychologists or therapists or yoga teachers or whomever going into prisons and working with prisoners and, and really yep. demystifying sort of the humanness of people that are incarcerated. And um, I think it's funny that people have sort of like their own personal barometer for like, Oh, they stole a car. That's yeah. okay. Oh, yeah. they, you know, got caught they, with weed uh, 25 yeah. to life. Yeah, or whatever it is, right? Yeah. Like, and that's so personal to yeah. each of us. I don't, I don't know how we existed as a society to begin with. <laughs> it's, I know it's crazy to bring that up, man. I think, and that's why it's so important for us, again, going back to like traveling, if we like, and, and not traveling in the sense of, again, like spending money going somewhere, but traveling outside of yourself, meaning that like, you know, right. seeking experiences that aren't your norm. You know, like if you're, 
if you're someone that has, and you probably wouldn't know this, but if you have like implicit race, racial bias, like go literally make friends with someone that is of a race that you don't know a lot about, you know, like ask questions, like learn, learn a different language. Like that's one thing in the U S that, you know, in Europe, it's a, it's a little bit different because there's so many cultures sort of melted together and we do, we have it here, but it's not like you hop from France to Spain and speak a different language. It's like everyone here, English is the language, you know, we're an immigrant based population but well, I think, we don't respect yeah. all those cultures. It's really just American, you know? Right. Right. That's it's not- fascinating too. That's that. Where, where did I see this? I, I saw um, this video of a guy on a, uh, you know, a woman on a bus, like says to two Chinese students uh, at some college campus on the East coast, like I think near Amherst, you know, I wish you'd speak English. And then this other guy on the bus is like, Hey, they're not talking to you. Like you, that's not about your yeah. conversation. And she kind of like loses her mind wow. in this way because they're like, dude, that's racist. And she's like, it's not. And of course, whenever anyone reacts with that much defensiveness, yeah. obviously there's some truth to what is being there being accused of. Right. But like, she's like, it'd just be nice if they moved to America that they could speak English. And it's, I mean, it's fascinating. Cause like, oh my God. Yeah. And, and this guy, this, this really cool guy, probably in his like late fifties on the bus is like, why they're not talking to you. This has nothing to do with you. This is a private conversation that they're having on yeah. a bus. Like it's, they're not screaming. They're not, they're not asking you to join anything. They're, they're not serving you, you know, like. <laughs> the thing with that is we feel entitled to be comforted. We feel entitled mm. to be comfortable. As a, as a lot of Americans do, we feel entitled to these things that, you know, in other countries, for instance, like if you're living in Hudson, Africa, why are people so freaking happy and they don't have Teslas? You know, it's because like, there's just a little bit more malleable to things just sort of being a little different. You know, it's like right. in the U S we have all these expectations. English is one of them. And so because that lady <laughs> felt triggered, not comfortable, she's like, why the fuck aren't you speaking the language that's part of this country? She's right. like, yo you can speak whatever fucking language you want. Just like you can like jazz or you can like reggae and hip hop. Like why, why do we feel entitled and empowered to tell other people, you know, what they have to speak? Of course we should be teaching each other and checking each other because you know, someone could be being an asshole or doing other things. But when it comes, when it comes like language or who you love or who you can marry, why the fuck do we think like we're entitled based on our religion or our dog, your own body. Or yeah, you exactly. Tattoo, or like what you, you don't, want, how you want to cut your hair yeah. or whatever. Yep. Yep. It's and it's, it's the, it's the, it's the control issue. It's like people, mm. you know, when they feel they don't have control over a situation and they're lacking comfort. Um, there's this Paulo, uh, Paulo Coelho quote. He says, uh, I don't necessarily agree with all of it, but he's like, um, comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Uh, and mm. I think really like at the end of the day, that quote just means like, you need to sort of change it up, bud. You know, like you can't just kind of always be in the ivory tower or underneath it. And, um, yeah, I think this is, Ben and I talk about, um, about comfort a lot and about discomfort and and becoming comfortable with discomfort. And he found that through studying Wim Hof, which I actually remembered I wanted to bring up before when you said that someone's kid had passed away um, or had committed suicide and they had no idea, right? Like that's Wim's story. Right. And we'll never know. We're not in his marriage, but that his wife committed suicide um, with children and and maybe had suffered some pretty severe postpartum without having been able to communicate that to him. Um, And and cold therapy and jumping into ice cold water was one of the only ways that he found his way out of his own depression um, from that experience in life and then became the Iceman as we know him. 
can I just say that Wim Hof has made it on this show already three times by name? Um, and I, I don't know him personally, but he taught a, uh, a retreat for the North Face athletes. And a lot of them were on the Sportiva team that I was on. Mm-hmm. And so I, like, they all told me about that experience. It was in Moab in like 2016. All the North Face athletes were out there. Um, and uh, he, he led them through that whole breathing technique, ice bath. And when I saw stories of it, they were just like, dude, this fucking shit sucks. And then after every single person was like, that literally changed like the way I view breath and the way I view sort of being, you know, just like mm-hmm. existence. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, who brought this up? Tori Gordon. She's a sort of a, just kind of spiritual health coach that I had um, on a couple of days ago and her episode's not out yet, but she brought up Wim cause she, she teaches breath work. She's like a breath work facilitator. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know shit about breath, breath work. I've heard it a lot, but I've never practice it like with the idea of breath work i've just like meditated and try to focus on my breath right and we talked about kind of what that what breath work really is and she brought up wim kind of being like her first intro this was years ago when she sort of first found out about him she started to get into it so it's interesting you bring him up because that dude's just been like he's on this he's on the show no, he's has. fascinating he's yeah. fascinating and it's interesting because it was probably about almost maybe three or four years ago when ben had heard about him and, um, I don't know, maybe it was, it started with intermittent fasting. Cause I think like we were dating, but didn't live together. And he said to me, like, just so you know, I'm going to start fasting. I'm, I'm basically going to stop eating breakfast. I'm going to start doing like the 16, eight or, you know, the 13, yep, the windowed amount. eating, um, yeah. the, the window, the window. And, uh, and I don't want you to think that I'm weird or that I'm rude or like, you don't have to do it. Like, you know, yeah. or I won't make you breakfast or something. Like, um, I just want to communicate that that's going to be. And I was like, oh, right. And so we started talking about that. And then somehow that led him down the path of Wim Hof. And then as a gift, a few years ago, I actually got us tickets to go to like a weekend workshop with Wim in Los Angeles. Um, and it was really cool. Um, and you know, Ben, like, and now in our home that we own together in our backyard, we have an ice plunge. And we invite people over and we hold little ice plunging parties. I literally um, just bought one two weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's what we do. And, and, and Ben does the breath work every single morning. Um, yeah. And, and he's really, he's really dedicated to it. But the thing too, I used to get these migraines um, and this isn't like a promotional, like Wim Hof thing, but, uh, and that breath work and ice plunging uh, erases them something that I've struggled with and I call them migraines, but they're really just like these cyclical headaches that I would get. Well, it's a nervous Probably system thing. I mean, it resets yeah. your nervous system, resets your breath. It, it makes sense because our body is a sensory factor. It's, you know, energy, right. it's magnetism, just, you know, pulsating. You change the norm of that, you know, because when you think, when you even look at like depression and a physical manifestation, you know, your brain is firing a certain way. It's like ruminating in a certain way. It's pulsating a certain way. And I'm working with a physician in Sedona and she has this new technology that she's uh, been a medical director of that uh, it's um, what kind of, it's like transcranial electrostimulation, but it's Mm -hmm. a different, it's like a proprietary design. And basically it's just sending beta and theta waves, you know, through your skull, through your brain um, that just lowers your, your alpha waves, which are, or I think it's beta alpha. I can't remember the ones. I think it's beta. The ones we're always on were on like monkey mind, you know, <clears throat> and that's yeah. essentially what happens to your body when you're taking an ice bath and focusing on breath and rehoning that is you're sort of stepping out of that type A personality that I must be productive. I must like, you know, accomplish, accomplish, accomplish. And you're just like, being. You and then. <laughs> sort of pointing at myself because my, my face is on the screen right now but yeah totally point at both of us because i think we, we can share that where we're just like you know 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, oh, no, man. I, I, I talked over you, but what you said was the most important part, which is that you get out of that mindset and you go into just being. Yes. Um, and I think that, too, there is an element of um, when we can find ways, safe, containable ways to in, to live in discomfort and 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 start to train ourselves to see that as not a fight or flight response as not a panic then when the world serves us when the universe or whatever serves us discomfort in um in, in an unknown in an unexpected situation whatever it is we are more equipped as people to handle it and also not see it as like a fucking mind-blowing life change like yes. We used to be good. Remember, like, yeah, flights get canceled and trains get missed and, um, you know, birthdays get canceled, whatever it is. And I just yeah. feel like we're so sensitive these days, yes. myself included at times. Yeah. If I'm not if I'm not grounded, if I don't feel good um, yeah. in change, um, eliciting this response that is so um, detrimental to like a mental, emotional health in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. I think with breath work and with like, ice baths, for instance, it really sort of allow it, it's like expands the separation from your trigger to the reaction. You know, it's mm -hmm. like all of a sudden I just, you, you just have more like space from just mm -hmm. like being like, Oh my God, this day's not going my way. Or this person didn't show up for coffee and I'm taking it personally. And you're just like, no, that's, that's actually okay. Not that you don't care. You still care, but you're just like, yeah. you're not going to allow it to like drag you down. It's sort of just, Oh, that happened. The space to like, respond instead of react. Yes. Yeah, right. What exactly. things do that for you? Like, how do you like, I'm looking for I think them. there's a lot of different ways to fill that. Cup. Yeah. I really don't. And I, I've never been someone, um, I, you know, I've been asked this in acting a lot. Like who do you, what acting uh, style do you subscribe to? And mm. look, I've been in acting classes since I was old enough to walk. I, right. I take what I want from each of them. Um, and I kind of build my own quilt of that. So like, I would, I think, I think the podcast is now about you. Um, what, like, what are the things for you that help you fill that cup? Okay. So, um, it's a very interesting and a very good question. So I, I relate it this way. So for a long time, running was therapeutic for me, right? Before I sort of yeah. turned into an elite runner and was getting paid to travel and whatnot, but then it became sort of a job where I was doing it so much just for the result. It was no longer about the process. Mm -hmm. And then I remember, this is like two years ago, I was listening to a podcast again with Andy Pudicom and he was talking about how a lot of people think running or physical activity is a form of meditation. And he doesn't necessarily disagree with that. But what he said is like a lot of times, you know, when you're, when you're running and, you know, and you're doing these things, like you can't really sort of, you're not fully focused on one thing. You have to look at the rocks in front of you. You have to make sure you don't trip. You mm -hmm. might have music in. He's like, when you're sort of meditating or just sitting still, it doesn't have to be meditation just simply right. laying down and just trying to like not let your thoughts consume your consciousness. Mm. I think that is something that we all really need to practice more of because I don't, I don't know if you can find that in other avenues. You know, you mm. just have to sort of sit still. We're really bad at sitting still. Now I think we should, I still run. I still work out. I, I love that. It feeds my soul. It makes me healthy. You know, when I don't yeah. work out in the morning, I feel kind of like off, you know? Um, but it doesn't do the same thing as it is what I get from just sitting and being, you know, just mm. being alone with my feelings and my thoughts. Because a lot of times I, I used physical activity as like an escape goat for dealing. Mm -hmm. I would just mm -hmm. go work out for three hours or run for six hours or bike, whatever, and just train, you know, and that's part of my job. So, Oh, that's really healthy. It's like an athlete training. I also but think a lot that of, you just coined a new term. What is that? 
escape goat. Escape goat? An, an escape goat. Wait, you I'm know what following. a scapegoat is. Like a scapegoat yeah. is something that you blame something on. But the way that you just used it was like an escape goat, which actually I think is a. It's really French. <laughs> yeah, it's French. No, but seriously, it's, it's. I think it's really. I think it's kind of rad. Um, that, I, but I know exactly what you mean. Like this thing gives me endorphins. This thing um, uh, makes. I always feel good after this. Yes. But is it the kind of you know what kind of good? Right, and and is it like is the endorphins? endorphins is sort of making you feel good it's not really you're already feeling good before you start the thing whereas like i feel like when you meditate or just sit still or just lay down in shavasana or whatever that and andy said this too that sort of transposes throughout your day like like mm. not that running doesn't do that or if it's but it's it's just a different sort of presence you know like when no, i work out physically reason. yeah, yeah. I want to work out physically. I feel good, like physically good. I might feel a little bit more emotionally sound, you know, more with it mentally. But when I just sit and like, if I'm sad or if I'm anxious or if I'm missing somebody and if I let that pass through me and just understand what I'm feeling, especially where it's physically manifesting. Right. It's just a different, it's a different form of presence, you know? For sure. Like. For sure. And the funny thing is that that, that, that's always available to you. Like, yes, one, one of the things that I, that you learn is like, there's a reason why, um, there's a reason why eggs have yolks. You know what I mean? We're not just supposed to eat the egg whites. We can't process the protein without part of the fat, right? There's a reason yeah. that yoga has shavasana. Um, that this is an ancient thing. Like yeah. they, they could all goes together. This is again about balance, right? We yeah. can't just do one thing over and over again yes. and feel like we're going to whatever succeed, whatever your definition of success is. Right. So, right. And, and I, and I have learned through being a yogi myself for many, many years and, and, and studying yoga, um, in a variety of ways of a variety of types. Again, I don't subscribe to one thing. I like to make the patchwork of whatever works for me, but yeah. a consistent thing, whether I'm in like a power yoga class for athletes or I'm like, yeah. you know, in a class that's like super duper spiritual. And we just like yeah. did kirtan for four hours of chanting right. before we went into whatever Shavasana never changes. Um, yes. And because that moment of rest, that moment to allow the body to be, and I love that it's also that your body's supposed to be in, in as much contact with the earth as possible. Yep. Right. Like that stillness is easier when you are close to the earth. I just want to say you're officially the longest podcast recording yet. Um, yes. Right. Right. So you've already set a record in your first uh, interview here. We need to do this multiple times because I just bringing up yoga. Like I want to talk to you about you know like authenticity with yoga because when it was brought to the West, now it's so uh, materialized and yes. very much corporate culture as opposed to spirituality, which is where yes. it came from. It you know we have so and, much to talk about that because yeah. I read um uh, uh the autobiography of a yogi right. Yeah. And, um, that, that book is a book that Steve Jobs read once a year or something, you know? So I was like, Oh, it was interesting. I read, um, the, uh, the three pillars of Zen too. I read those at the same time, mm-hmm. very dense books about like the spirituality and sort of mm-hmm. yoga and then Japanese Zen meditation. And, uh, now when you look at like what yoga looks like in a Lululemon club, you know, in New York city or in, uh, in LA again, no judgment, but it, it's a lot of times it's sort of, it's a little different than if you go in like a spiritual base, you know, traditional yoga you know practice right not to get mm-hmm. off on that tangent but because i want to talk about that no, i don't know if we should no, do no, that I today that that's, I, and i have experience on both sides of that and i right. have an experience with why i was brought to yoga because i broke yes. my back and yep. it was kind of the only way i could rehabilitate my my history of athleticism yeah. um and playing water polo and like very difficult competitive sports into this thing that um 
you know, I was not good at and came to the mat all the time wanting to like to beat someone, you know, yeah. like who can I be better than today? Yeah. <laughs> like, and and the and the, the amount I had to do it to then go uh, to laugh at myself and know that like that was not why I was there. You can get that vibe from certain teachers too. Like, okay, everyone go into like tripod headstand and bird of paradise now. And uh, if you have a you know more extensive practice, go into that. And I'm just like, how about just like do you boo? You know, just like just like if you want if you want to like just sit, that's cool too. You know, and you were just yeah. as. You know, you are succeeding just as much because we're here to be better human beings and be healthier, not just right. to sort of like stand on our heads and have a really nice butt. You know, those are great too. But it's like you gotta, you know, man, you, man this is so many podcasts. I just did no, totally. That's what that's yeah. yeah. Oh man, yeah, okay. We can save it. <laughs> we we do have to save it. We do have to save okay. it because I can't. Okay. We're gonna people's ears are gonna be throbbing. You know, I hope no, that they're I listening. You're gonna to this. have to edit this to some degree, right? I hope, or you can save a little it bit for later. No, it's yeah. gonna it's gonna fly. Yeah, I mean, people listening, this is. I'll edit the middle part where um, I go let the dog in, but yeah, this is gonna be pretty pretty unedited. Even I mean, I might cut out your your um waterfall uh sound My, but yeah yeah we'll see I, see, well. I take these to set um i fill one of these every day i work on set um that's a way better thing so i uh, and, and shamefully admitting that i used to carry on those big plastic like two gallon jugs i would use the same one for like a year but yeah. i would carry that around every it was like my thing like everyone had yeah. a little water bottle and i would have like the five gallon you know just because yeah right? You no, need to I, have, I have the three and five gallon in our water dispenser in our house, just because a glass yeah. one would be way too heavy. Um, and yeah. those are BPA free and we just use them over and over and over again. Yep. But, um, I, one of my large, and then we'll stop and then we'll stop. But one of my largest frustrations in the world is small bottled water. It is crazy to me. Makes no because, sense. Again, it's such a waste. It's killing the ocean. Yes. You know, comfort, man, we're good. Right. Yeah. I exactly. understand when there's a hurricane and the only way to get water to people. Do you know what I mean? I understand yes. in times of crisis. Yes. Um, I understand in places where there's no potable water. I understand yep. that. But seeing someone in an American city that has perfectly fine water um, w- go through a Walmart line with cases and cases of individually sized bottled water blows my brain apart. And we can talk about that when we talk about yoga. <laughs> oh my God. Well, there, there is a theme to this conversation and when in wrapping it up, I want to say that th- we've touched on a lot of things very yes. deeply. Thank you for talking about today. Um, yeah. and, uh, I, you're going to come back on. I mean, let me know what your schedule's like. We'll have you back on. We'll start from, Dude, just start from like, the end yeah. of this. Okay. Sounds good. Cool. <laughs> Thank you so much, Cassidy. Thank you. Um, yeah, this has been wonderful. 